Welcome, everybody, to our new season of Need Some Introduction. We just ended our previous season with the finale of The Last of Us on HBO and Your Honor on Showtime. And we are kicking off the new season here with a little recap of Succession from last season. This is going to be the final season of Succession, one of the most well-regarded series of the past five to 10 years. And I'm very curious to see how they tie up this storyline. And it should be a big cultural event, I would assume. HBO always does a good job of ginning up interest in their shows and building that audience year over year. And to that point, they're coming off of a huge win streak last year, starting with the second season of Euphoria, which grew over the success of the first season, season over season, then launched the massively successful House of the Dragon, which averaged over 30 million viewers per episode. Only the final two seasons of the original Game of Thrones series had ever drawn a larger audience, went directly into The White Lotus, another massive success, not only building on the surprise COVID season of that show, the first season of it the year before, but that second season went viral, winning many awards, and that show continues to pull in new watchers. By the way, we have coverage, full coverage of the first season of House of the Dragon, as well as this most recent season of The White Lotus, which by the way, is our biggest show here on the podcast itself. And now just wrapping up this even more successful season of The Last of Us, this video game adaptation, which has just in the past couple of weeks eclipsed the success of that House of the Dragon series, putting it only behind the final season of Game of Thrones as the biggest audience ever for an HBO show. And by the way, not that far behind that final season. So a true phenomena they've had with this season of The Last of Us, a show that I had mixed feelings about. There are some really, really strong elements to it, but some things I really didn't love. And do check out our coverage of it here in the podcast if you're curious to know more about those shows or if you're just catching up on them now. And of course, just wrapped up, Your Honor, and we have many listeners here for Your Honor. I guess it has less coverage out there. So we are one of the few shows that gave it full coverage. And we do appreciate that you joined us for those conversations. I found the season itself being pretty interesting, was pretty well done, but I was surprised by the finale. I felt like they didn't actually resolve any of the storylines, which I guess leaves things open for potentially a spin-off movie or something in the future, but I doubt we'll ever get it. So it should have been a little more final in its conclusion, but the season overall was pretty solid. So that's for last season. As for this season, I wanted to give you a preview of what we'll be watching here on the show, just some of them, some of the things to look forward to. Both of these series, by the way, that we will be covering primarily, Yellow Jackets on Showtime and Succession, premiering pretty much on the same date and running concurrently for nine episodes. I believe the season was announced for both to be 10, and now I believe they're both nine. I will correct that if I'm wrong, as the shows unfold. And other shows that we'll be covering here in the podcast throughout the season, The Big Door Prize, Apple TV Plus's magical realism comedy about people who find a machine that tells them their future at a local grocery store and how that impacts their life. This will be running concurrently with Ted Lasso, which is back, and we will also be discussing here and there throughout the season. On Amazon Prime, the adaptation of the science fiction feminist novel, The Power, which is all premiering before the end of this month of March. And in April, the return of the very funny FX comedy, Dave. And over the course of that month as well, we have Tiny Beautiful Things on Hulu, a relationship dramedy, 
that Son and I will be discussing here and there. Mrs. Davis, the Damon Lindelof science fiction series coming to Peacock. Love and Death, a miniseries coming to HBO about a true life crime, which has already been adapted less than a year ago for a Hulu series. An international sci-fi spy thriller, massively budgeted project from the Russo brothers who brought us the Avengers films called Citadel, and that's coming in April as well. And other series we'll be covering, at least in some, to some extent, the new Fatal Attraction adaptation coming to Paramount Plus, and a new adaptation of the David Cronenberg Dead Ringers film, and another final season of an HBO show, brilliant HBO show coming in just about a month, is Barry. And we will be covering that. Nick and I will be watching that. And Celia, also a big fan of that, will be helping cover that series, probably week to week on that one. And I do believe that Barry and Succession will be wrapping up their seasons within about a week of each other. So a very eventful season of the show. There'll be even other shows that I haven't even expected or some that are premiering in May that I won't introduce this early on because schedules can change, obviously. But tune in to hear about those shows to decide what to watch in this sea of new content. Hopefully, if you've enjoyed our coverage in the past, I can help guide you to something new or maybe appreciate something that you're struggling to get a handle on. Now, before we get into that succession season three recap, one more thing that I have seen is the new Bob Odenkirk show on AMC called Lucky Hank. This is an adaptation of one of Richard Russo's novels. The novel, original novel's name is Straight Man, which I believe was going to be the series title as well until recently they changed it. I have not read the original Richard Russo novel, but I have seen just this first episode, by the way, I have not seen any additional episodes, but the reviews have been very strong. And what I would say is Bob Odenkirk gives a terrific performance. This has a feeling of his Better Call Saul, Saul character. By the way, we have full coverage of the most recent season of Better Call Saul. Do check that out as well, especially if you're catching up with it as it's soon to premiere on Netflix. He gives a great performance, many shades of Saul. It almost feels like, could you imagine Saul Goodman incognito as the head of an English department in some middle tier college? Or if Saul just grew up in very different circumstances and had popped up here, it has some of the same ironic wit. But unlike Saul, which seems to have the confidence that he is always ahead of the game. Hank's power here seems to just be the fact that he does not give an F about anything that's going on within the English department itself. And at the beginning of the episode, he gets into trouble by calling it like it is when he tells his mediocre student his true opinion of his writing. And this leads to a cascade effect of within the department, which resolves very ironically by the end of the very first episode. And then setting up for the rest of the season, it seems to be that this is going to lead to rifts within his marriage as well. The fact that his wife, who's more successful than he is, has been putting her life on hold, waiting for him to be able to make a move out of this small town where he's grown up his whole entire life. And he also has the shadow of his very successful father that he's living under. And he keeps judging himself that he has not accomplished enough. Some of the same themes, by the way, that we experienced, if you've covered, if you listen to our coverage of Fleischman is in Trouble, this successful late career, middle-age angst have you done enough? Have you achieved enough? And when do you start to give up what you thought your life was going to be and embrace what your life has become? So all of this is very interesting. I laughed. I found the performances across the board to be very strong. And I do like some of the themes that are explored here. However, in this world of so much content, I do wonder if this is going to be appointment television viewing for everybody. 
especially the fact that it's coming out on Sunday nights, where you're going to have two extremely high profile shows launching just this upcoming week. Obviously, the ones we'll be covering here with our podcast, Yellow Jackets and Succession, especially Succession, which I think has probably a lot of audience overlap with Odenkirk's fan base. So I do wonder how much of an audience they'll find here. But hey, they do have that deal with Netflix. So maybe this pops up on Netflix a few months from now and turns into a hit. Maybe the second window becomes its first window. So I would recommend it if you're not watching Succession, if you like Odenkirk, if that sounds appealing to you, another show about the doldrums potentially and opportunities of middle-aged life, then do check this out. For me, I will probably dip in here and there, but it's going to be hard for me to watch this whole thing all the way through given its competition, but it is definitely a good show. So in a vacuum, if this had come out against no competition, I definitely would be watching this. So take that as you will, and maybe I will try to watch more of it going forward and give you a mid-season review, let you know where I am with the show. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get into this previously published conversation. First, I'll be discussing with Sarah, a friend of mine who's a psychotherapist, who just recently was a guest on the show discussing Shrinking, a comedy on Apple TV Plus about a friend's group of psychotherapists and the shenanigans they get into, a show which is wrapping up just within a week or two now and has been very entertaining. Previously, we also discussed The Patient, another show we covered in detail here in our podcast feed. And we were touching base. She was about halfway through season three of Succession and had many insightful things to say about the psychodynamics of this toxic family. And many of the dynamics she points out in this very conversation actually bore out over the course of the remainder of the season. And then Sona and I discuss the final two episodes of that season of Succession. This is a long episode. It's about two hours long, taking two long conversations and publishing it all at once. But I do hope you enjoy it, especially if you're a big fan of Succession. Do check the show notes if you want to listen to only parts of the conversation. Once again, we'll start off, we'll kick off with Sarah's psychological case study of the family, the Roys. And then we will segue into Sona and I discussing Chianti Shire, which is the penultimate episode of season three of the series, and then wrap it up with our breakdown and discussion of the finale of season three. And then of course, stay tuned because one week from today, Sona and I will be breaking down the premiere of season four of the series. Also, one more note, Wednesday, there'll be a bonus episode where Ray, Nick, and I, who've discussed previous Marvel and Star Wars shows. For example, we covered the Obi-Wan Kenobi show last year. Ray and I discussed Moon Knight, and we've reviewed some of the Marvel films and series previously. We discuss our impressions of the Ant-Man sequel, and more importantly, the direction of the MCU in general. And then this current season of The Mandalorian, we had watched the first three episodes, and they get into all the Easter eggs. Ray has a lot of knowledge about the Star Wars series. So all the Easter eggs that I missed as a casual viewer of The Mandalorian show. But more importantly, I also raise my concerns as to how potentially alienating it is to get this deep into the mythology in those Star Wars series. That will be on Wednesday. And then on Friday, the premiere of Yellow Jackets. Many exciting things to discuss this week. And I hope you stick around for all of that. Subscribe if you want to get notifications when those episodes become available. And I do hope you enjoy this upcoming season of our series and all these shows we'll be watching together. Enjoy the conversation. 
as we are wrapping up another season, season three of Succession, I have a little bonus content here. I am constantly doing my own armchair psychoanalysis of these very, very messed up family. I'm sure we all have messed up family members, at least, if not the whole family. What's that saying that every happy family is happy the same way and every dysfunctional family is dysfunctional in its own special way? <laughs> a little bit of a analysis of the dynamic of this family. So I have a new guest, Sarah. I'm so glad to be here, Victor. Thank you so <laughs> much for asking me. I'm really excited to talk about this today. So I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker. I'm a psychotherapist, basically. And my background is in psychoanalytic, psychodynamic psychotherapy. So family systems and the origins of people's development is really where my interest lies. So this is just a really fascinating case study about a really, really troubled family. So I'm <laughs> yeah, excited, excited to talk to you about it. Yeah. That's an understatement, right? Mm -hmm. um, in your personal practice, do you do family therapy or, uh, or is it just individual? I have done family therapy in the past, mostly with kids, more at the beginning of my career. So I've done some couples work, some family work, but now I just do individual. But I think some types of therapy are more oriented toward changing behavior and sort of helping people build skills, which can be really helpful. But my orientation, it always kind of goes back to childhood and the way that our most early family relationships really shape the relationships and patterns that we have in the present. So that's another reason why this is so such an interesting sort of case to look at. I think that there's a lot of criticism of the show where there is criticism. I mean, the show is pretty well adored, but I think that where mm -hmm. the show has criticism, and even I do sometimes, is it's very repetitive in the fact that this family dynamic keeps repeating itself, which yes. is very true to life. Like Sona, my uh, co-host often brings this up, but I think it's very true to life. And more yep. importantly, I think from the day that the show was created from the very pilot episode, I think that Jesse Armstrong, the creator of the show, wants to explore that when you think about the title sequence, right? The title sequence mm -hmm. is totally. not, you know, we see like New York City skylines for a couple of minutes, but most of the title sequence is them as children yep. with this like ghost of a father, right? You see them holding his yes. hand, but you never even exactly. see his face. You see the back of his head, exactly. right? Yeah. So the title sequence says so much about the psychology of the show. I think, yeah. I think that is the subtext that the show is always playing with. Totally. And so I am, you know, we, it's funny, you can actually reiterate some of the things you were saying before we started recording that mm -hmm. you're talking about how there's a lot of armchair psychoanalysis going on. And I am very guilty, even on this show, of doing armchair uh, psychoanalysis, which is the reason I was hoping to get a someone with more insight <laughs> to, um, yeah. to confirm my opinions. No, just, just yeah. <laughs> well, but, um, I have to say yeah. that's very astute. I think you're so right about that title sequence is so symbolic and emblematic of so much of the, the problem with the development of these siblings. I would just say I have some very deeply held beliefs and opinions about social media stuff around self-diagnosis and people who really need help. And they reach out to the resources that are available, which are often like TikTok or these platforms that are really, really, in some ways, I think, very helpful to people because mm -hmm. they feel it can help you feel a lot less isolated, I think. And you can get some insight from that but it doesn't replace real therapy. And so that's just one sort of thing about, I think it's fine to do kind of armchair 
psychology and particularly in in terms of like talking about it in terms of like a show like this because it's not real people right we're talking about characters right right so i think um just treating it sort of as a case study in that way can be really interesting i always just feel like it's important to like warn people against diagnosing themselves if people are struggling with really serious issues there's just again nothing that replaces talking to a real professional so I think it's very important to say. And the last thing I would bring up even myself as a non-professional, obviously, is that even though that there's a lot of interesting psychology that is being represented on the show, this is still just a TV show. So, you know, if you look at characters on a TV show and you start diagnosing that person is narcissistic or that person is whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, when you have day-to-day interactions with uh, your coworkers, they may also be narcissistic monsters potentially, (laughs) but people are more complicated than that. Right. So we are, we, you know, we are diagnosing, uh, you know, fictional characters. Right. And we of course have insight into those characters that you can't have most of the time with, uh, with people you actually see. Exactly. Good point. Mm -hmm. But all that being said, we're going to do it right now. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So where did you want to start? I was thinking at the beginning, if we wanted to kind of do a breakdown of the family and what that like kind of the dynamic might be underlying this internal power struggle. Mm -hmm. Uh, One place I thought we could start with is with Kendall, because so much of the show obviously is this wedge and then everybody kind of all the relationships that he has, or we could start with Logan because Logan is so central to everyone's fixation. Interestingly, I was, as I was reviewing my notes, the primary dynamic that I sort of wrote about from season one is still the primary dynamic now that I'm almost caught up with season three, like I'm in season three. And that is that, so to, as a roundabout sort of way of answering your question, I think the primary dynamic that um, jumps out to me is really the ways in which all the characters are impacted by, engulfed by, consumed by, wounded by Logan's narcissism and abuse Mm -hmm. and all the siblings development, I think can be looked at through that lens with Kendall. I think even from the very first episode, first scene of season one, it really shows his developmental arrest. And what I mean by that is that he has this desperate wish for his father's approval. Right. And it really doesn't go away. We see it kind of go up and down, which all we can get into more, but that was really striking to me. He's almost like a little boy in a yeah. grown-up's body. Mm-hmm. It's so painful to sort of watch how Logan manipulates him time after time. Right. And it's interesting too to see how, in terms of diagnosis, he's someone who really struggles with addiction. Mm-hmm. Often with addiction, there is that correlation between someone who is developmentally arrested and who's trying to sort of solve a problem by escaping his feelings. Mm-hmm. When people are more able to deal with things in a more adult way, they are able to feel their feelings, even if they're painful. They're able to cope, they're able to express themselves. And often with addiction, we see people who really never got that chance as a child to feel like they were being seen by their parents, 
that they were being able to express themselves openly and honestly, that people were interested in what was happening to them inside. And so because they lack that, they turn to other things. Does that make sense? Yep. I find it really interesting just having you say some of those things, because I'm just replaying the dynamic of the show throughout the seasons. And you haven't seen the most two recent episodes, but there's some things that happened very recently that crystallized this arrested mm-hmm. development that Kendall is in. And minor spoiler, because I know, you, and not to the audience, if you guys are caught up, but minor spoiler to you, Sarah, because you haven't seen the most recent episode, he gets an offer to basically walk away from his involvement with Royco. Like, and his dad is literally telling him, here's $2 billion. We find out it's $2 billion offer over the course of the episode to walk away. And he laughs at this, like it's a fantasy or something. And his girlfriend is saying, but why not? You want to become a venture capitalist. He says he wants to start these new companies and everything else. So here's your opportunity. And he just, he can't, Yeah. instead of saying, I take this money and yeah. I'm free now, right. he right. thinks, oh, they're trying to get rid of me, which they are. Don't get me wrong. Right. But if life is just interpreting what happens around you, there is a mm-hmm. way to see that this is a win for him and he cannot exactly. see it. He can't see it that way. Yeah. That's a very interesting point because in some ways we could see that too as an addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. He's addicted to his fruitless search to the dynamic right for for his yeah for the approval right for he can't extricate himself from this fantasy if he only sticks with it if he only does the right thing and we see the right thing to kendall being at some points it is him basically saying screw my father i'm going to become the lion and then at other points becoming literally catatonic right like season two trying to just sort of just becoming the most submissive version of himself. I think in some ways it's this addiction to this hope that he can some someday make it right with his dad and right. be really find love and approval. Yeah. And, and once again, just playing out the kind of the seasons in my mind, I, I think of, you know, how Logan is in a way intentionally sometimes and maybe unintentionally other times stringing him along because, you know, at the very, very beginning of the show, he's saying, you're going to be the next CEO. And now he thinks he has that in hand. You know, when I first started watching the show, I didn't even think about this underlying psychodynamics. I thought it was just him being, that's mine. And you took it away from me and it's more cutthroat. Right, right. But now over time, it's like, no, he he has multiple exits here at different times. He, like you said, he's trying to fix this dynamic, which the dad rejects basically. Mm -hmm. So then he self-sabotages because, you know, every time he seems to almost have a way to take over the company, he Mm -hmm. can never like close the deal because there's this self-sabotage all the time. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Speaking of self-sabotage in this season, I think it's maybe episode three or so when he's in the back of that cab and he's saying, good tweet, bad tweet, tell Mm -hmm. me something, Mm -hmm. you know, something flattering, Mm -hmm. something about me. And then he wants to hear the negative stuff and he yep. fixates on the people who are being critical of him. Yep. What is that dynamic? If, if you could, if, if you had any insight into that at all. This brings up a couple important things. One is that bipolar disorder is mm-hmm. a very, very specific mental disorder. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's often misdiagnosed. So I will say that as a caveat, because in some ways, Kendall shows some signs of really intense mood lability, meaning mm-hmm. very high peaks and low valleys. Mm-hmm. When he's in that cab scene, I thought to myself, there's some mania going on mm-hmm. potentially. You can see it 
whenever he's at a high, there's a lot of reckless behavior. There's a lot more drug use. You can kind of see him self-destructing. Like you said, like there's a self-sabotage to it. A lot of just a lot of reckless behavior. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you're right. He is very focused on the negative. There's almost this masochism Mm -hmm. in him when they're the scene at the party yeah, let's watch this, the TV show where they were kind of, they were skewering him basically. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he yep. said, you know, like everybody let's watch this. There's something so painful about yep. that. Yep. So we can't say whether or not Kendall has something as serious as bipolar disorder, because it's for, it, as I said, it's very difficult to diagnose and it, it it's often overdiagnosed. And, but, and it also seems for him that the highs and lows are very situational. Mm-hmm. But we can see underlying that, like the self hatred, yes. right? Like he's just a really tragic figure. It's he really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's become so. It's funny. I, for the longest time, I was kind of resistant. You know, everybody raved about this performance for the actor, and I always enjoyed his performance. But I never really one hundred percent bought in on how great a performer he was. But in this season, there's so many times when. Uh, you know, five different emotions are playing out on his face at one time and uh, without him saying a word. And I'm like, wow, this guy really impressed me. I think in one of the recaps, I mentioned how he's giving that interview and he's worried about what this woman's going to write about the salad he ate. And you just see this uh, for moments. He really says, this is the vision, the future of media. And some of this is just corporate talk, but some of the things he's saying work and they're actually winning people to his side. Right. But then immediately he's like, oh, wait, are you going to make fun of my salad or whatever? Right. And exactly. just on his face, you see that fear all of a sudden. Yep. And it's just such an interesting duality that's always seems to be fighting inside of him, you know? Yeah. It's like fragility. Yes. It's yes. such fragility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so important, I think, to this season in general uh, and to all the things you're saying. In the very first episode, I think about that first scene in the first episode and I mentioned this to Sona being that he was the most intolerable and annoying version of himself yeah. in that episode. Yeah. Everything he was saying was like corporate jargon. Nothing he said meant anything. And right. I was just so disgusted and annoyed with him. Yeah. But the thing yeah. that still gave me sympathy was the very first scene in the episode when he's like trying to disappear into the bathtub. And yeah. it's such a weird combination of things where here he is in his private moments. He basically wants to disappear. Yeah. And yes. then he walks out and he's like, I'm the king of the world, which is what he thinks he needs to project. Right. And it's like really, you know, whether it's bipolar or something else, this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's tearing himself apart, basically trying to be both things at the same time. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. That's exactly right. And that actually brings up another point. If you think about it again, in terms of development in those moments where we kind of see him, it's interesting. It's often in a bathroom. I actually mm-hmm. just yes, because <laughs> he's alone, um, right? Oftentimes, in the yeah, bathroom, often right? alone. Yeah. That again, we see him as a like a little boy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he is either raging or kind of trying to like breathe through something. There's no space for his feelings unless he's by himself. Yep, and trying to kind of cope with something. There's no real support. Yes. I think some of the secondary di- secondary dynamics that I think I see across the siblings mm-hmm. is that when you have a narcissistic parent, especially someone who's extremely abusive as Logan is, it's very, very difficult to develop a true sense of yourself. 
because you are constantly being confronted by the person who is supposed to be taking care of you, the person who is supposed to love you the most of anyone in the world is so volatile, can switch from explosive to charming to cruel, depending on what best serves his interest. He plays people off of each other. It is extremely difficult to develop a sense of self in that context because you really don't know what to expect. There's Mm -hmm. no ability to develop a sense of security and safety in yourself or in your environment. I think with Kendall, we really, really see that. We see him alone melting down and disintegrating. And then you see him come out sort of putting on this veneer of, I'm powerful. I'm the king of the world. I This is like the person I was groomed to be. So I have to be that. And it doesn't allow him to ever really be himself. And sad. I think the saddest m- moment that just sprung to my mind was in season two. They've gone back to Dundee. I believe yep. they're still in Dundee. And his mom is there. Yep. And he wants to tell his mom about yep. oh, God, the... Yeah. Uh, so bad. The, the, the yeah. death of that that boy. He just wants somebody. He has not been able to tell anybody except for his dad, obviously. And his dad's used this as like a blackmail against him. And uh, he just wants to have this moment. She also is just opportunistic in this moment. Yes. And uh, he just has no one. And it's just so That's sad to think of. You know? That's like, right. Yeah. That's right. And if you think about it, what we do know about, about their mom, it's not really as fully developed yeah. as most of the characters. But what we do know is that she's very cold. Yes. And she's very withholding and very like snarky and sarcastic. And so if you think about the frame of, so one of his parents is an abusive narcissist. And I, mm-hmm. I will say that the the one thing that I'm confident in saying is that Logan is a, a he has narcissistic personality disorder. It's quite clear. Um, and I would actually, I actually wish in some ways that we knew more about Logan's history because mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's yes. a lot of trauma mm-hmm. and because trauma is generally, if not always what creates a personality disorder like that. But if we think about it as you have one incredibly narcissistic and abusive parent and one very cold parent, that is a very, very difficult and potentially dangerous combination of, yeah. of caregivers. But at uh, Kendall's birthday party this week, he has this ridiculous location that he's decorated with all the stages of his life and people have to walk through it. Mm, <laughs> it's really wow. bananas. And you walk yeah. in through a pink tunnel. And when you walk inside, there's a nurse at the end with a bottle that says, um, you know, welcome to the world of Kendall. And Shiv and Roman wow. say, wait a second, does that mean that we just walked through mom's vagina? And uh, Shiv goes, it's cold and inhospitable. Sounds about right. Oh, my God. So now I really do wish I was all the way caught up, Victor. Oh, my God. Yeah, funny. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of knowing a little bit more about the mom, the mom is remarrying. And that's next week's episode is the mom. They're Mm. all all at the mom. So we're going to find out a lot more about that family dynamic in that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh, and the last thing I wanted to bring up was Logan's history, literally, because I thought it'd be very important to know more about Logan. So I was like trying to track down some biographical details. What is mm-hmm. core? And we know very little, right? We know where he grew up. We know that he has a terrible relationship with his 
brother, but it yep. seems that his brother mostly hates him because of what the company has become rather right. than anything right. in the past. And we know that he, they both have a sister whose name was Rosie, I think. Right. But she That's died right. somehow when she was young That's and right. we don't know why. And this is something that is so traumatic to them. They never speak about it at all. Right. That's right. So that's, and that's, and I honestly was like, well, let me like look at one of these wikis or, or like a Reddit mm -hmm. board or something where mm -hmm. someone's tracking all these biographical details and that's it. That's all they have. So I'm like, yeah, not, yeah. I don't have a lot of background on them. So, right. Which really, I hope sets us up for season four. Hopefully they're setting us up so that we will know more about that. Right. I have to say, if the writers aren't intentionally having a really psychoanalytic or trauma-informed lens, they're doing yeah. a really good job of faking it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's really profoundly nuanced in how they are kind of bringing in these threads. Like, like you said, with the sister, the only yep. thing I, I'm just remembering that scene where Logan pulls up to it. I think it's when they're in Dundee, they pull up to his childhood home. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even get out of the car. Yeah. That like, do you want to go inside? Out. He's like, no, I'll yep. never go in there again. Yeah. So yep. yep. Yeah. And the falling out between him and his brother. I'm curious to know. Yes, that, absolutely. You know. I mean, once again, I don't even know how the company was built, but it seems like maybe he borrowed some of the money from his brother and then he built this giant company. Mm -hmm. So that's why his brother still has this big chunk of the stock. Mm -hmm. Or the alternative is that he helped his brother out by giving him some, so they had to be on good enough terms in the past so that either his brother would have lent him this money or that he would have gifted him a chunk of the business, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. for them to obviously have a horrible relationship now, so many things have probably happened. And I don't know mm -hmm. if they're rooted in their childhood, but probably are rooted in their childhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now that, uh, you know, Logan is kind of a black box, right? I think that mm -hmm. I, other than him being narcissistic, and maybe you can shed some light on this also, what okay. I kind of find interesting about Logan he truly is intimidating to everybody. Everybody's afraid of him, right? Yeah. And he yeah. has succeeded when, you know, the corollary for this business is Fox. Yeah, right. He started off, Mur Rupert Murdoch, you know, bought a bunch of newspapers and then he built it into this. They owned at one point 20th century Fox and Fox TV mm -hmm. and Fox News, of course. And now they've kind of sold off all their IP and they're really just a news business again. It's called News Corps again. But regardless, mm -hmm. that's kind of like the general framework of this mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. story. And I don't think, I don't know enough about the family to say if the, the, this dynamic is legitimate or, or not. Although I do know that they have like one sibling that's kind of a hippie and one sibling that's kind of whatever. So there could be some loose dynamic correlation mm -hmm. here. Okay. But what I think is interesting with the Logan story in the context of the show only is he's built up this company. He obviously has incredible amount of power politically in every possible way. Right. And then at the same time, you know, when the Kendall, instead of identifying, knowing how fragile Kendall is, seeing his actions in any sympathetic light. That's right. He's like, mm -hmm. he's coming after me. I'm going to kill him. Like he, he like, he is out for blood at his yep. own child. And I'm like, what okay. is that dynamic? Where does that That's come right. from? And, and it, I never thought about it till, you know, cause he's such a monster in my mind. I never thought about it until we started having this conversation in a way, maybe this is the repeated um, right. you know, intergenerational trauma. Right. Like he That's is right. Kendall, right? In other words, he had this trauma inflicted on him at some yep. early age. So That's he right. cannot see the consequences of his actions. He's always right. just attacking all the time. Right. 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 Exactly. And no matter what, if someone is not, capable of taking responsibility for their actions, looking at the abuse that they're perpetrating, that is ultimately the issue, right? right. So intergenerationally, people pass down trauma. It happens in ev almost every family. 
there is something that gets passed down until someone interrupts it. Mm-hmm. Logan has done the opposite of that. He has enacted over and over and over again these horrible, monstrous abuses in all of his children, in all in everything that he does. Right. It is so deeply disturbing. So just to clarify, I'm saying we can have empathy for what happened to him, right. but he's ultimately responsible because he's an adult with agency. Right. I agree. I don't think I have that much sympathy towards Logan, mostly because I don't know his backstory. Right. Um, but even just a few weeks ago, we were in the podcast, we we're saying, well, even though he's kind of a jerk and he's done the other thing, he is also a sign of his times. And you had to be kind of a cutthroat, you know, kind of as a critique of capitalism itself, kind of you had to be, this used to be the kind right. of CEO that was the right kind of CEO. Like it's just right. the culture has shifted, et cetera. And we were forgiving him for being kind of just a dinosaur, but you know, mm. that's just the way mm-hmm. things were. And then right. over the past few episodes, he's been like so brutal to his kids. We're like, nah, he's just a monster. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think again, the, the, the other thing that can often play out in a narcissistic family system is playing the children against each other. Absolutely. And yeah. we see that so yeah. intensely. I mean, it's literally to go back to actually the beginning of our conversation, you were mentioning something about like, It's like, it's so, it's very repetitive. Mm -hmm. And something Mm -hmm. that I keep going back to is that they're having the same conflict over and over and over again. Exactly. And it's almost always based on this sort of splitting that he does where he splits his children apart for his own purposes. Mm -hmm. So you can't really develop a true sense of self in that kind of unsafe, volatile environment with a parent. You also can never trust anyone. Yes. So every relationship that you have, as we see in across the siblings, none of them really know how to maintain a true, close human relationship. They have no idea how to do it. Maybe that's a segue for um, speaking mm-hmm. about one of the other siblings, which, you know, mm-hmm. as you're saying these particular things to me, especially about the family dynamic, I keep in my mind thinking over and over again about Shiv. And yeah. of all the characters, Sona and I both on the show, when we we're doing recaps, we really can't get a handle on her, not because she's mm-hmm. not well-defined, but because yep. we find her psychology, unlike Kendall's kind of arrested development and yep. Logan's pathology of narcissism, definitely narcissistic, mm-hmm. right? That's yep. kind of pretty straightforward. Not, not straightforward, I shouldn't say that, but it's pretty- It's uh, more clear, yeah. More clear, yeah. And what yeah. I find confusing to me is to get a read- on mm. because she's yeah. the most frustrating character to me. I feel like she so utterly lacks self-awareness. I feel like mm. she thinks she's a good person, but she's such a mm. terrible person to Tom, the person who's mm-hmm. to her. Yep. And then she competes with him and then partners with him. And then and lies thing, to him. And, yeah. yeah. And, and cheats yeah. on him. And then also with her family, she has a similar right. dynamic where supposedly this liberal and this mm-hmm. uh, outlier within the family. But then when it comes to family business, she's as cutthroat as anybody else. And once again, she like makes fun of her brothers for trying to curry favor w- with the dad. But then she does exactly the same thing that I find so frustrating. Yeah. And obviously yeah. Interesting. I actually feel very similar about Siobhan. Because she's very hard to place. In some ways, the the thoughts that I've sort of formulated about her are that on the one hand, we could say that she's perhaps the healthiest sibling mm-hmm. in the sense that she <laughs> has, <saying> <laughs> you know, which is saying, which is really saying something. Yes. Right. 
And in some ways I would chalk that up to, she's often sort of um, framed as like Logan's favorite. Mm-hmm. She's the only girl. There's something where she maybe has gotten whatever tiny amount of love that he's capable of. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he manipulate, we see him manipulate her constantly too. Oh, absolutely. And like maybe it's an argument could be made, maybe even more than any of them, he manipulates her. Once again, just to jump ahead with the most recent episodes, he has turned on her in the past few episodes yep. in it's such a brutal way. She comes to the rescue of the business in the next mm-hmm. episode, the one you're about to watch. Mm-hmm. Not only does she not get a thank you from him, he turns on her. And yeah. uh, a couple of interesting points about some of the things you mentioned about the dynamic. I believe she is the youngest sibling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do agree that I think that maybe in his older age, as he was um, mellowing Logan, you know, he calls her pinky. I think maybe mm-hmm. she as the baby did get some of that affection that maybe the, mm-hmm. the boys did not. And maybe because she was a girl, I mean, he definitely is a toxic masculine figure. Yes. He probably did not uh, dote on the boys. And he you know, probably right. was more comfortable allowing himself to do that with, uh, with a daughter. That makes sense. I mean, he turns on her at every curve, really. Yeah. But keeps telling her, oh, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. And like, and right. then he ignore, ignores all the advice she, he gives. Exactly. Her. <laughs> and gives so him there's her. a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, sexism, mm-hmm. like in terms of like, there's a lot of macro elements going on too. Of course, we could talk about like the systemic psychology of it. Right. There's a lot of sexism in, in their relationship too. Yep. I think the one thing that I initially thought about Shiv is that when I said like, potentially she's quote, the healthiest. What Mm -hmm. I mean by that is in some ways she developed her own identity outside of the family. (laughs) She has her own pathology. She She has her own. (laughs) Yeah. She has her own set of bullshit, but it's (laughs) not, you know, it's not there. Right. So she, cause she like, she had this, you know, she had this political career. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. sort of, she sort of, as you said, frames herself as a liberal, right. As a good person, Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, I always go back to on her wedding night with Tom, oh right? My God, yep. mm-hmm. She says, hey, just so you know, I don't think I'm cut out for monogamy and we're, we're going to have an open relationship. And you see, again, that same theme. It is so difficult for them to become close to mm-hmm. other people and have right. a real human connection with somebody. And it shows how that thread really kind of manifests itself with each sibling in different ways. And so it's so interesting to just in terms of TV criticism lens, when we think about who we sympathize with, mm-hmm. it's so nobody fast, on this show, you know, we sympathize with somebody for a second. And then yep, we, yep. we're just like, Oh my God, it just shifts so fast. Like with Kendall and Siobhan, I would say, for me in particular, I, I, I have found that kind of whiplash where I yep. start to sort of sympathize because you also see Siobhan more than the, the one out of all four siblings. I would say she's the one that they most often portray trying to have a real connection with Logan and say, right. hey, dad, no, really, like, can we just be real together? Right. right. We right. see her do that whether it's about business or it's about her saying, please don't sacrifice Tom or whatever it is. Right. That's a, that's a sort of pattern where she's like, can we be real? And he can't do it. They can right. never do it. I think that she has an idea about herself. It seems right. that she doesn't want to give up. 
Right. I totally agree with that. Yeah. A couple of things there. One is talking about the people being sympathetic or not on the show. I think that's a, a fool's <laughs> errand. It's impossible to sympathize with any of these people. But yeah. I do agree. I know I've had this conversation with so many people who mm-hmm. were reluctant to get into the show because they all say that. It's either they said, I couldn't yeah. like anybody, or what they'll say is, I really liked this person. And yeah. then like in episode five, six, they turned into monsters and they're like, wait a second. Exactly. Like now they had nobody to sympathize with, right? But yeah. I don't think the show's about sympathizing with anybody. I think That's you know right. it's more of like a critique. I mean, to be honest with you, I think there's a couple of criticisms. One is, mm-hmm. I think there's a capitalistic critique here Absolutely. saying that when you are like, you know, if you're mindlessly capitalistic, if that's how you live your personal life, then nobody ends up winning, right? Because everybody's just the competitor in the end, right? Exactly. And I think that another critique here is kind of like a micro theory I've come up with this season is that I think this is also a political metaphor Oftentimes, politically, you might feel like there's enough will in the populace to get a certain bill passed or something to happen. And then what happens is that the powers that be really just want to divide us so that we, if we are all just fighting amongst ourselves, then we never really have to deal with the issue at hand. Absolutely. And uh, and I think that politically, that's the metaphor that Logan represents, right? That Logan, every time he's a little threatened, he just has them fight amongst themselves and that's it. Now his hands are clean and he could go on to doing whatever he wants to do again, right? I think that's kind of uh, what the dynamic is playing out. I think that looking for someone to sympathize with is not what the show's about. Yeah, but uh, but at the same time, I think these characters are extremely well defined. Like you mentioned, I think that's what's interesting about me thinking about their psychology and like, why did she do that? Why did she say that? Some shows, it's literally like, well, she said that so that the next scene can happen or like the next plot twist can happen. This show's not about that at all. It's about no, it's not. You're right. That's a good point. Yeah, and actually, now that you mentioned that, I I, it's making me. It's reminding me when you first texted me and to see if I might want to, you know, come on the podcast and talk. I've never gotten through the show because they're all so despicable. <laughs> right. <laughs> so exactly. You're saying like, this is like a theme, right? With the show where people kind of, you have to get into it. Right. I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the metaphor about politics. And in some ways, even to go back to Shiv for a second, that brings up a really important point about the idea of liberals right. being somehow outside of the divisive, toxic sort of dynamic uh, that is politics. It's like, no, actually everyone is culpable. Right. And she, in some ways, maybe she kind of represents that too. And so it's interesting to think about like the way that individual dynamics, individual pathology, individual family pathology can have so much global control. (laughs) It's like the fact that the the people that are at the top that control all the wealth and power that their own tragic disturbing dynamics unfold and affect billions of of enterprises and millions of people you know yes. it's it's just really something mm-hmm. it's so funny to have this conversation with you because you haven't seen the most recent episodes and so many things that you are describing are culminating in these episodes. Mm. So in last week's episode, the one you haven't watched yet, they were picking the next president, quote unquote, and they end up selecting this guy who's a straight up fascist, openly a fascist. Mm. And Mm -hmm. uh, basically their take on it is they're only worried about who's going to help them out with the DOJ investigation. And simultaneously, Mm -hmm. they're also thinking about, wow, we put this guy on TV He's going to get a younger audience. He's going to get like these alt-right young people and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. they're like, good job. That's the guy to pick. And to your Mm -hmm. point, they're purely personal stakes 
mm-hmm. can have mm-hmm. national consequences, but they don't yep. care because it's really just about yep. their stock price or whatever they're concerned with. Right, right. Because they're right. above all of it, right? Like they're just not. Right. It goes back to what Logan said at the end of season two, when he said to Kendall to not worry about that kid dying because he wasn't a real person, right? It's like, only you know, you only have to worry oh, about God. real people, right? It's unbelievable. It's <laughs> right? so, see, from season one, the notes that I was taking, it's the same shit, right? It's the same themes over and over. So even without knowing, in some right. ways, even without knowing the most recent episode, it's just unfolding. It's like a fucking runaway train. And the other, the other sort of thing to go back to kind of thinking about it from like a developmental standpoint, if you think about when kids are growing up, as you know, because you're a dad, there's a very um, crucial but temporary part of development where kids need to feel like they do have power, right? Mm-hmm. They can be like, I'm the king of the castle. I'm going to be in charge of like my pile of stuffed animals. Daddy, you have to do this. Mommy, you have to. And you, we play along, right? Because we want, that's part of their developmental struggle and their learning, right? Right. Is like, they understand that they have their own individual human agency. And it's an important part of the fundamental development of the self. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if you have unchecked power and literally billions and billions and billions of dollars, that fantasy that is eventually broken, right? Mm-hmm. Because it needs to be where you realize, oh, actually there are other people in the world that matter. I'm not the only one that matters. You grow up and you realize, oh yeah, like actually to have relationships, I need to share. I need to have interactions where I'm actually not in charge. I have to make space for other people, other people's feelings matter. That's like how we all develop into adults. When you have unchecked power and money, that kind of goes away. And I potentially, and I think that that's another thing about this family and about the political metaphor of this family, because you have so much power and money, you don't have those checks and balances. And so you, it's just like this running rampant and it's really destructive. This is off topic for, (laughs) you know, a TV show, but a little thing that I think is a cultural problem in general, I think that I absolutely agree that, you know, these incredibly wealthy people oftentimes are completely disconnected from the evil that they do. But, you know, unlike a lot of the political discourse that this is something that affects only like the 1%, for example, Mm -hmm. I think we're all culpable of this. I know, for example, that, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who eats meat and I was explaining to them like the cut of meat they were eating. Mm -hmm. And they're like, meat comes from a bag. I don't want to think about the fact that Mm -hmm. this is an animal that I'm eating. Right. Right. And I'm like, well, at least you could do is acknowledge (laughs) that you kill an animal to eat it. Right. Right. So, and I think that's the thing, right? We live in a world and culturally it's, it's the, it's inevitable. You throw something into the garbage and it's not recycled or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to say the words to say like, this is what I stand for, Mm -hmm. but there's actions we take every single day that have consequences. And we're all disconnected from those consequences. It's just like the more privileged you are, the the more disconnected you are from exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of a disease of that. We all, suffer from, unfortunately. 
That's right. Good point, Victor. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. But speaking of all of that, and I think that maybe we'll leave Roman for last, even though he might have the most twisted psychology. I mm-hmm. did think when you're thinking about the pampered youth, and another thing you mentioned is you're wondering if the writers are actually thinking that far mm-hmm. ahead. And I'm like, I, I don't know. At first I was saying, I don't know if the writers are really thinking about these psychological profiles of all these characters, or if it's just mm-hmm. like fortuitous, they're kind of just developing a character and then writing into it. But then mm-hmm. I thought, the next character I think we should talk about, he's one of the funniest and maybe the most inconsequential, but I, I really <laughs> like this actor too. It's uh, Connor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But I want to bring him up because of what you were talking about, about being pampered and how you never really grow yeah, up. That's and right. I do think that I that you have something there as far as the writers doing a real psychological write-up of these because Connor has a different mother than the other three. Mm, mm-hmm. And he had a very warm mother, but this, uh, you know, the second mother that he married, this who, who uh, is royalty or something, right? Isn't she like, mm-hmm. uh, she's like you know, very, mm-hmm. so he, maybe he bought, married her just for opportunism and maybe she came from a, a colder background, but regardless mm-hmm. that the first wife kind of pampered a Connor and he was the only kid. So yeah. he not only kind of enjoyed the spoils of, this lifestyle, but had yeah. probably a pretty stable home and got the money without the toxic relationship with his dad, who was kind of pro- pretty absentee until he was older. You know, so you have that dynamic. And then you have the three siblings who, of course, grew up together. And I think that is why, even in the show, you feel that they are way more competitive with each other than yes, Connor. Connor's just kind of out there. Not only is he older, he's also just kind of like not part of this toxic stew that the three of them. Yeah, have. he's he's very feckless, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. It is a blended family. Yeah, There's something about the way that he is outside of it all, but also you see the way that he has been pampered. Like you said, like what's coming to mind right now is that scene when they're at the, that benefit, that gala thing, and the butter is cold and (laughs) he goes back into the kitchen and freaks out (laughs) on the service workers who are like working so hard to cater this event for like hundreds of people. Right. And he's just like, has having this temper tantrum. It's breaking the bread. The bread's getting ripped up. (laughs) It's just, I think I would have to say what comes across the most about Connor to me is that he is the stand in for Trump. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's extremely, he's like a toddler and he has had privilege his whole life. And I mean, obviously, the metaphor is pretty clear. He's running for president. (laughs) Right, right. But there's something about the family dynamics, about him being kind of on the outside, where he's both the most kind of ridiculous one and sort of like seen as kind of a joke, I think, by everybody, but also just sort of he lacks self-awareness maybe out of (sighs) the most out of everybody, too. He's a really interesting really interesting character and really in some ways comic relief, but also in some ways like the scariest, he's like a quiet sociopath in a way. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's scariest because you can picture that, you know, like if all the cards line up the right way, maybe he does become president. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's got the name and he's got just, you know I mean? He's got just enough going on that he could maybe get in there. Uh, This is a recommendation for everybody out there. If you haven't seen this and I'll recommend it to you as well, Sarah, but uh, did you ever see being there? Have you ever seen being there? No. Uh, It's very different than this, but I just came to mind. I highly recommend this. It's a movie from the 1970s. It's a story of this rich man who dies and, uh, 
Peter Sellers plays this guy called Chance who does the gardening at his house. And he's like uh, <laughs> mentally slow. He's like intellectually disabled or developmentally disabled. Developmentally, yeah, intellectually disabled. Basically, when the, the rich guy dies, he is on the streets. Like, you know, the maids and everybody leave and they're like, uh, you know, you're on your own. You got to figure this mm-hmm. out. And basically because he has the right kind of pedigree and he lives in that house. And maybe it's never explained. Maybe he is like an illegitimate child to this rich man. Who knows? But little by little, he starts to accrue famous people around him. And he says really naive things because he's just a gardener. And he talks about how, like, you know, you have to plant your seeds at the right time of year and all this stuff. And everybody around him, all these like intellectuals around him think that he is like a guru or something. Mm. And uh, little by little, this like, you know, guy who really should have no kind of political power starts to become a political symbol to, to a Mm -hmm. bunch of people. And it's actually goes into that much more depth than Connor's character here Mm -hmm. in the, the, this story. Mm -hmm. So he's not as disabled as Peter Sellers character is in there, but Mm -hmm. I think that there is some overlap there in what they're trying to represent. So uh, yeah, if you haven't catch, I don't know where it's available. I'll put it in the show notes if it's available to stream anywhere, but It is like, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. movies. So uh, I haven't thought of it in a while, but it's called uh, Being There. Um, Last sibling that we have to talk about Mm -hmm. for sure. What is up with Roman? Roman has, he's uh, asexual potentially. Uh, He has some Mm -hmm. sexual dysfunction. He can't actually have real Mm -hmm. sex with anybody. He has some kind of hangup where Kendall locked him up in a dog cage when he was young, but he actually Mm -hmm. wanted to be locked up. So there's some weird power dynamic there. And um, he's very misogynistic. We'll see even more. You'll see even more in the most recent episodes. He's got so many sexual (laughs) hangups and uh, (laughs) like maybe represents this kind of like incel kind of culture, but Mm -hmm. he's a a vol cell. He's a voluntary celibate. So I'm not Mm -hmm. sure (laughs) he could have sex with, I'm sure he's, you know, he's a Roy. He could definitely hook up if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. So it is, but what's your read on him? I'm so excited to get into Roman. It's like so (laughs) I am so glad that you are excited to talk about Roman, saving the best for last, let's say. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about diagnosis, in some ways, he's the clearest. Mm, Okay. And I think potentially the most important to talk about in terms of diagnosis. And the reason that I say that, he shows very dangerous signs of antisocial personality. Mm -hmm. The way that he sort of interacts with everyone is extremely cruel, right? Mm-hmm. He uh-huh. he lacks empathy in a really, I think, very disturbing way. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he also is very like darkly funny mm-hmm. um, and has some of the, you know, we could say best one-liners of the show. <laughs> right, right. And I think you're right where we could see him sort of as a stand-in maybe for like a, an incel um, or a troll that he seems to almost take pleasure in hurting people, Mm -hmm. just really troubling. He almost is gleeful in making others feel bad or uncomfortable or making them suffer. The other piece for him, I think it all always goes back to the satellite launch. um, (laughs) Where he, again, it goes back to unchecked power where as opposed to Kendall, who carries this weight of guilt about being responsible for killing this innocent boy, Roman has no guilt. Right. And so he lacks empathy and he also lacks guilt and shame. And those, well, the shame is another piece. I guess I should distinguish that from guilt, but he seemingly lacks guilt, right? right? On the other hand, 
as you were saying about the the story that we know about him being put in a cage, similarly in the same sort of thread, when we see him with his girlfriend, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name right now. He's trying to have sex with her and she he's asked her to pretend that she's a dead body. Oh, there is something about this sort of perversion, something really twisted being caught up in something gratifying. So it's really psychosexual. I mean, I could get very Freudian about it, but I think from a different kind of maybe more again, empathic perspective. It also plays out in the way that Logan treats him, right? Logan smacks him. Logan says horrible, horrible things to Roman. In some ways, I would say in a more abjectly cruel way than he does the other kids. He is constantly swearing at him and Roman is always kind of joking it off, right? Right. Which is then he what he transmits to others as well, right? Exactly. Exactly. So he plays it out over and over again. And I think that ultimately from a psychoanalytic perspective, there's a way in which when you grow up with a parent and in a family that sort of treats you with such cruelty, there's something that happens inside of you where this is, again, the person who is supposed to be the most loving, trusted object in your life. And I say object because that's, well, that's kind of going into something more complicated, but the most Mm -hmm. loving, trusted person in your life is supposed to be your parent. But when they treat you with such cruelty and abuse, you cannot actually process that as a child because you depend on that person, right? Right. So you have to somehow reconcile that inside of you. And so what what can happen is that you have to sort of say, well, this person, I depend on them for care and love. They're treating me horribly. I have to somehow believe that this is the way that love is because I can't, I don't have any other choice. And what can happen in development around that is that you start to sort of confuse love and affection with cruelty. Mm -hmm. It all gets really tangled up together. And that's why we often see things like, people who are abused in childhood will repeat patterns and become involved in abuse with abusive partners later in life. Mm-hmm. It's often also where, where cycles of abuse get reenacted over and over again, where there's victim blaming with women who can't leave an abusive part. Why do you keep going back to him? Right. You know, it's a cross wires thing that happens inside where you have to somehow reconcile in your, in your mind and in your heart this person is treating me this way, but I love them and depend on them. So I have to make this work. And that's really, I think, at the crux of how I think about Roman. Hey, one thing that you mentioned that was very interesting was I'd forgotten about that whole sequence with the ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. and how it's not about a particular sex act, but it's about the transgression. Like when he gets mm-hmm. the office and then he masturbates onto the- yep. The window, like so theoretically, people could see him if they were looking up. Yep. And it makes me think about like when Jerry was like yelling at him. Yes. Uh, and then right. he starts like exactly masturbating, right? right? And, exactly. uh, and then that becomes in his mind is like a relationship they have now. Right. Yes. So. And it's and it's gratifying to him, right? right? Him her insulting him has become sexually gratifying. Right. Right. Exactly. I think again, like the the sort of antisocial stuff, a lot of it is is you don't really see people as people. Right. You see people as objects 
And so we could see that with the scene where he's trying to have some kind of sexual interaction with his girlfriend. We can see that with, even with that masturbation scene you just mentioned, we can see it with the satellite launch. People are not people to him because he's never been treated like a person himself. He's been treated like an object or a problem. That's how sociopaths and, and really like serial abusers are created. They are objectified. They are never treated like people. It's really dangerous and, and scary. It's very interesting having this conversation with you, by the way. And this is why, to be honest, is the reason I wanted to like start this podcast is I think that by just having conversations, oftentimes about not really important things like this TV show, which is not Mm -hmm. that important, (laughs) you end up talking about important things. And uh, what I think what's interesting here, and this is probably the intention of the show, and I didn't realize it until now, is that I think these characters don't just represent these kind of realistic interpersonal reactions and maybe what happens in the lives of these one percenters or whatever. I think it also is trying to do some kind of social commentary in the characters themselves. So you already touched on Shiv maybe represents a certain type of like entitled liberal that says the right words, but like, what are their actions regardless of what their words are? Right. Right. And then with uh, all these things you're talking about, how you just see someone else as an object, you're incapable of seeing them as a person. So you have no empathy towards them and it makes Mm -hmm. you behave monstrously and maybe even homicidally towards that avatar, even if it's not a person itself, maybe he won't actually kill anybody, but he basically doesn't care about the outcome. It makes me think about that internet culture, right? Where oftentimes- People would say say horrible and do horrible things to each other when they're like separated from them that they would never say to their face. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And maybe living in a bubble like that, you know, living that kind of lifestyle just forces you to eventually start. It's interesting you called people objects before. I know it's like Mm -hmm. a psychological term, but Mm -hmm. I do think you start to treat people like objects, right? Because they're not real things. They're not real people. I mean, they're just things that you're interacting with. And then it's all about just getting that zinger in, having the funniest meme, having the the wittiest Mm -hmm. thing to say, and you don't care about the consequences because they're not real people anyway. And I think that there's something that's being said there as well. Uh, So that's pretty interesting. Right. Yeah. And I will explain that just briefly. Like, so there's a psychoanalytic theory called object relations. And what it means is that we all have internalized relationships between self and other. We have, let's say, you have experienced a primary relationship in your life as either manipulative or cold or cruel, and that you are inside of you you have a relationship with that object, that cruel or calculating or cold object as you either submit to them or you relate to them as, as I was saying before, as you have to sort of create a loving relationship with that, that object that's cruel, you internalize that dynamic. That is sort of becomes ingrained in you and you become, you start to sort of expect that from everyone else around you. Mm-hmm. So it's something that's that's ingrained early and you sort of ex- expect it completely independent of what's actually happening in reality. That's what you expect from other people, which is another thing about Roman. He's so defensive. He is always, always waiting for someone to say something cruel to him. So he's saying something cruel first. Right. He's always on the, well, on the offensive even. He's on the defensive or the offensive all the time. That's a different kind of fragility than, say, Kendall, 
but it, it's all, it's also a fragility. You can see again with Roman, how he's such a, a little boy inside too. Right. I have to say I do uh, Kiernan Culkin's performances really. It must be really hard to live inside that character. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about the characters is a little behind the scenes stuff, apparently, and this is very interesting of the dynamic on the show, by the way, mm-hmm. is that everybody on the show, Brian Cox as Logan is an old school British actor who's kind of mm. like, I'm just acting, you know, like just kind of a lot of the other characters, like they're all foreign, by the way, except for Kieran mm. Culkin, but like Shiv mm-hmm. is Australian, the actress, okay. uh, Sarah, Sarah Snook. Uh, they, uh, you know, have this great relationship with the writers. They basically have writers for each one of their characters and they mm. get to not only do the script, but then they get to improvise on their own and they wow. kind of mesh the improvs together. So apparently- they love working on the set, but Jeremy uh, Strong, uh, the actor, he is a method actor and he's always in character. Wow. And when everybody's partying and everything, whooping it up on the set, he goes to his trailer, stays in character, and he only comes out to do his scenes, right? Wow. So uh, it's very interesting to kind of think about him, uh, you know, as an actor and then as this character as well. Like you mentioned how Kieran Culkin might, you know, have a problem inhabiting this character, but maybe mm. not, right? Maybe it is like- right. they, you know, that he he gets right. to be the worst version of himself, but then it's right. all a joke on set. Right. Right. And, uh, so, but it's interesting to think about the psychology that as an actor, you have to kind of, you know, right. deal with sometimes. Right. And I don't know if Kendall, right. on the other hand, you were talking about like kind of being psychologically traumatizing. If uh, Jeremy Strong is always in character, I don't know what kind of drama he's doing to himself. There. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I actually feel very bad for Jeremy Strong. <laughs> right, that exactly. be a terrible method. <laughs> acting to be in yeah to be embodied in that so uh, so that gets us through the siblings and i know we're going long on the interview but i really have had a great conversation but i did as i got you out the door i did want to know if you have any other characters you wanted to throw some psychology at the two that i'm most interested in i don't know if you have takes on them at all Mm -hmm. but one is tom and one is greg greg i think is the most like easiest to empathize with he's my favorite character to empathize with he's like Mm -hmm. kind of an audience surrogate in that mm-hmm. he's just thrown into the situation and he's pretty yeah. opportunistic. He takes his shots when yep. he can, uh, yep. but you know, but I understand his motivations all the time. <laughs> like he's very easy yeah. to understand. Right. That's actually funny. I was just thinking we hadn't gotten to um, Tom, Greg or Marsha's the other one. Oh uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg is also, I would say probably, I mean, I mean, whatever Roman sort of one-liners, they're so tense and kind of gross that mm-hmm. it's not actually that, much of a, like levity to it, but I would say for true true comic relief, I really appreciate Greg. Right, and I think that he. I hope we get to know more about his background too. We don't right. know much about his mom, but there's a lot of sort of implications about his relationship with his mother. He seems really pigeonholed as like the dumps, you know, yeah. yep. like he doesn't really know what's going on but he actually kind of does like yeah. he, he mm-hmm. seems actually quite calculating mm-hmm. in sort in the just you know especially i would say with him saving the papers that he was supposed yep. to shred exactly i would like to know more about him before i would like have too much more to say but he's really really interesting for yeah. sure and uh, and like i mentioned before it's like his like psychology in general I don't have a problem with and I, I, huge props to everybody on this cast by the way but especially to nicholas braun in this character because like you said he makes me laugh more than anybody else (laughs) because like you said roman he's like the internet troll the ugly (laughs) meme that you see that makes you laugh but it's like wrong you know (laughs) and uh so that that that's what you know kieran culkin's delivering with the roman performance Mm -hmm. but greg on the other hand has to say these things that are (laughs) 
like on their face, so naive. Right. And yep. he just is able to just pull these lines out. Yes. And it's, it's incredible. Yep. He's just yep. cracks me up. He's just so yep. funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Tom, on the other hand, who's also oftentimes funny is also just so utterly yep. mean spirited all the time, especially yes. with Greg. He's usually funny when he's with yep. Greg. He's usually miserable when he's with yep. anybody else, but he's yep. funny when he's with Greg, but still his brand of humor. Uh, and it's interesting that Tom and Greg have this partnership on the show. I, my okay. theory of it is that Tom is like, Greg is the only person, this guy who's like a first year <laughs> intern or something mm-hmm. is the only person there that he can like crap on without any yes. consequences to himself. Yeah. So I think that's why he, he bullies him so much. Yes. But his th- dynamic is very interesting because he's always looking to bully someone, but he's constantly yeah. being bullied. That's right. Tom is also, again, a wonderful, I mean, the acting on the show is just like superb. Yeah. And not to sound pretentious, but it's true. <laughs> right. And I wish I knew more about Shakespeare because I feel like Tom and Greg's dynamic is sort of like how it's like, Shakespearean tragedies are actually comedies and vice versa. Like they have, they provide this sort of break from the intensity because every interaction they have is so sort of messy and disturbing, but also like when they're in that, the weird office that Tom offers Greg, Mm -hmm. that's like this, it looks like some kind of old mail room or something. Yeah. The storage closet. He he starts like punching him. It's like so ridiculous. It's absurd. The absurdity of it, I guess. And Tom, I think a little bit of, of his personality came out a little bit more when he was on the beach with Shiv. Yep. And was sort of like actually standing up for himself and saying, I'm actually really unhappy. I'm not happy, right? That actually, I think in terms of his ability to stand up for himself, that was something that was unexpected and maybe says a little bit more about his personality and character and that he was taking a stand. But then on the other hand, as he's becoming more and more sort of petrified and terrified that he's going to prison. Right. And he goes and says to Logan, I will be your sacrificial lamb. Right. He's extremely complex. Yeah. I think that he is also obviously so power hungry. I think in some ways, maybe the most addicted to power in Mm -hmm. a way, because he will, will do anything to maintain his position. I mean, they all will but he has this particular sort of way of perpetuating that, that is really, I don't want to say pathetic because that feels, <laughs> but it <laughs> is a little bit, you know? Right. And I think that he's has a very sh- sort of shallow sense of himself. Right. And that moment with Shiv was maybe the one moment that we saw him trying to actually be himself, but it's was very sort of, temporary. And I don't know if there's like a diagnosis for this type of thing, but I almost feel like I had people that I knew like back in high school, let's say, or when I was at a fraternity, when I was older, that there were certain people in my diagnosis is these are people who don't know themselves at some core level. And they're kind of like doing the thing that everyone else is doing. And they're like, kind of like, Hey, look at me guys. I'm in with you guys. See, I'm doing the very well said, very well said, Victor. Yes. And, and and it's like that, right. He's always like trying to like make a show that he's like doing the right thing. 
But yeah. I don't know if he knows himself that well or, or if there's something there that basically if there is some core to him, I don't think he's presented it on the show because right. It, right. either he's not aware of it or it's just something that he doesn't present to anybody. Right. So. Right. And actually, to go back to your point about him kind of shitting on Greg, yeah. that's kind of his, it seems to be in some way his abusive outlet, like he gets yeah. to kind of act out his rage on yep. Greg because mm-hmm. he can't do it anywhere else. Right. And again, to go back to like, if we think about the sort of threads that we've talked about this, our entire conversation, again, the characters like throughout, they don't have a sense of self. They don't understand their own minds or their own emotions because they're so terrified and they're so stunted. Right. And I would in, I would include Tom in that, actually. Yeah. Now that I've, you know, I always parallel Greg and Tom because they have so many similarities. But I mm-hmm. almost feel like, you know, Greg, on the one hand, could I, I always joke that Greg's going to like win the whole thing in the end. You know, mm-hmm. he's like subtly yeah. always in the room when he's not supposed to be. And little yeah. by little, because he's like forgotten <laughs> that he uh, will eventually pull control the strings of power. That's I doubt that's what's going to happen. But I wouldn't, you know, like at the same time, I kind of almost root for it in a way. But yeah. at the same time, I feel like maybe Tom is greg 10 years ago and greg mm. like little by little just kind of like one compromise yeah. at a time is yes. just kind of going with the flow and saying well yes. this is what i'm supposed to be doing right and then he ends that's up that's a great point tom is, absolutely right? yeah tom is greg's mentor for doing what tom did <laughs> right to do the wrong yeah. thing <laughs> all right that was great thank you so oh, much for all your time i really enjoyed that i hope, <laughs> so I hope I. that was I think I had made some realizations here that I wasn't even expecting. So that was great. All right. I'll, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. a nice change from the city. Really gorgeous to look at. I keep going back to the scene between Shiv and her mom about their relationship as mother-daughter, how Shiv's mom felt about being a parent. I just am so haunted by the idea of her saying, I should have had dogs. And Shiv's saying, you you could have had dogs. And she says, no, because anything your father ever loved, he would kick just to see if it would come back. Now, first yep. of all, is there has there ever been such a perfect summary in one line of what this whole show is about? And, exactly. Yep. And second, is she saying it was okay to have human beings that the father would come <laughs> right. back, but not a dog? She wouldn't subject a dog to that, but her own children, sure. That to me is like a very strange natural next thought based on what she's saying. But um, I thought it was just a perfect way to distill everything that's going on here, especially then that scene with Kendall and Logan. My eyes were just glued to the scene. It was so well done. Kendall is finally saying, like, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm out. Like, just buy me out. And he admits, I have no capability to do anything else but work in the family business. So if I'm not going to work in the family business, I need enough money to get by and for my family and everything else. And given Kendall's assessment of what that number is, is practically speaking a lot higher than it needs to be. But I do (laughs) think that, you know, it was interesting that he acknowledged he couldn't do anything else. And his father finally, after taunting him, taunting him saying, get out, get out, get out, says, no, I'm never going to let you out. The moral dichotomy of like, who's good and who's bad, right? And 
Kendall has convinced himself that he's good and his dad comes back to remind him, how good are you really considering what we know about what you did at Shiv's wedding? So the first thing that's kind of fascinating about that is I like that Kendall's still messing with him. Logan is actually scared (laughs) to eat that food. Oh my gosh, I didn't even mention that part. And like, first of all, on a superficial note, I'm always complaining about how slowly time is inching by. Well, guess yeah. what? Iverson has grown about 18 inches in 15 months. <laughs> has anyone noticed? Is anyone alarmed? So, <laughs> first of all. But, um, Which does happen sometimes at that point. I mean, I don't know if you've seen uh, Andrew yet, but Andrew's over six feet tall. It's crazy. That's insane. But yeah. um, still, that's quite a growth spurt. At, um, I think he's supposed to be like nine years old. So, <laughs> um, maybe he, he'll be as tall as Iverson. Maybe he's uh, maybe that's his, his career. One of those things where you name the person what you want them to become. So um, so anyway, uh, yes, I can't even believe I forgot the idea of like having a taster for your food that yeah. your grandson. So, <laughs> and the idea that he legitimately believed that Kendall would do that is insane. Right. When the plates come out and Kendall's like, that one's for him, knowing that he is paranoid. And then of course, just pushing him over the edge with that by switching their plates. And then of course he has Iverson come out only to taste the food. And then he basically sends him off. Just messes him. Yep. And then, and he's like, oh, I think they, I brought something for you. Like, here's a gift. Go away. Right. Basically, yep. which is probably how he raised all his kids. Yeah. Uh, but then what's fascinating about that conversation is first he starts off saying like, you win. I want out. Please just let me go. And he's trying to be submissive. And then he goes, you win because I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's the cutting part of the whole thing where he says, you're evil. And uh, Logan says, don't talk about things you don't understand. And he says, you like use like racial hatred and all these things to, to make money. And he's like, I just know things about the world that aren't pretty things, but they're true or else I wouldn't make money. So Logan is making a lot of sense in these very messed up things. All that he's of that is right. As yeah. people don't want to like him, I find myself taking his side. It's surprising about yep. the time. <laughs> yep. He's right. Yep. Yeah, he's absolutely right. I think about most of that. I despise what Logan stands for. I'm not sure that the argument that he is somehow making the culture toxic, like the culture is shifting that way. I'm just, you know, have to make money off of it. And obviously this feedback loop reinforces it, but I'm not sure he could change the weather uh, by ignoring it. Right. Right. And uh, oh man, and he's talking about how long did the kids survive? And then the most biting thing at the end, the most biting thing is he says, you think I'm this, this, and this, but I'm your father. And I cleaned up all your messes. Also true. (laughs) Also true. Exactly. And that's something that is so cutting. It's a fact. He screws up. And that kid dying is just another example of that, right? The pinnacle of it, probably. The most egregious. Exactly. The most egregious. Yeah. Oh, I do want to go back to the Shiv conversation because you are 100% correct. I felt exactly the same way. That whole metaphor of kicking the dog. I'm like, holy cow, there you go. There you have the whole entire dynamic. Of course, like the mom is no winner either, right? So like, oh, yeah, right. Still right. for these kids that they probably got the worst combination. Like I have yeah. before tried to justify the whole situation with Logan by saying like, this is a decision a couple can make, a family can make that this right. one guy is bringing in to zillion dollars. Like, So he's going to be an absent parent, but that other parent is going to pick up the slack or they're going to make sure 
that the kids are still raised in a healthy environment and they're going to have the benefit of all these resources. Life is trade-offs, right? Like I believe in that, but here you're seeing like, no, they really, I don't know what their nanny situation was. Maybe they had some really great nannies, but um, parenting wise, they really got the short end of the stick on both sides. The, I did find it very interesting to see Roman and Shiv who are always so nasty to each other, but suddenly when the mom is around and the dad is around, they kind of fall back into their behaviors as children. And what I find so funny is so much of Roman's behavior, I always associated to Logan, but all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's like his mother too, right? Because the mother, it's constantly sniping at everybody. She's even making fun of Peter. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, Bridezilla. Mm-hmm. And he's like such a, he's a little grubby, yeah. you know, scholarship boy and stuff. She's always making, putting everybody down. Like yeah. she can't, you know, but she's marrying this guy without a prenup, right? But at the same time, she's always got to be like, eh, it's just a lark. It's just a lark. You know, that's not true. You know, that's not actually what's happening inside her mind. It can't be, right? But she can't ever be real about anything, right? And the kids have that same problem. Right, for sure. So some very funny things that happen here, by the way, I have to circle back to... Mm-hmm. Willa, the proposal. Holy cow. Oh how my funny God, is that? How awkward. Oh, geez. <laughs> no, public proposals are the worst. Oh, right. I mean, it's just such secondhand anxiety. And then, and then this one, yeah, where they're kind of just like faking their way through it halfway. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Oh. Oh, the other one that's great here is another funny thing was Greg with his dating ladder. He, he's not happy enough. He gets comfy. She flies out to Italy oh, with him. Oh, Greg. <laughs> Greg is really off his game. This, you know, I've been rooting for him for so long. He's really off his game for most of this season. I've just been kind of he just disappointing me. What else we have? Oh my God. The whole thing with the dick pics throughout the whole entire episode. So first of all, when Jerry's like, you have to stop sending me those. And she tries to analyze him going like, you know what? When you get stressed out, you start to act out. He's like, don't open that Pandora's box. Don't try to get inside my head. There's just more dicks in there. Oh God, that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> and just the way Culkin performs it, like he's yeah. just like, it's great. Another thing that made me laugh about his performance, by the way, is when he's confronting Peter and he has so many ticks. <laughs> you can always see how stressed out he is by how many ticks he's. And when he's, he talks to Peter, it's like his hands up over his head. He's scratching himself. It's like, he's so twitchy. <laughs> oh, it's so great. He's so uncomfortable. It's just, it's incredible. Oh, and then, of course, just to wrap up the whole <laughs> dick pics thing, maybe the only time I've literally put myself in Logan's shoes and sympathized with him in this <laughs> entire show. <laughs> the moment when... Uh, Unsolicited. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he brings Shiv back in there and he goes, what is this? And Shiv very authoritatively says, like, oh, that's his dick. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, has she seen it before? Like, what yeah, is that? Like, that's, oh, that's very problematic. And then she, he brings in Roman. And this is where I have the sympathy where he just like, I was like, what is he going to say to him? And he's just like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm a hundred percent in empathy with him at this moment. Oh God. And I can't believe by the way, that after this whole, you know, dick pic debacle that he goes through with this merger of equals. It's crazy that that whole scene, by the way, is just crazy how it plays out. They walk in there and it looks like Roman's like, well, this isn't going to go through. And Jerry's like, he's never going to agree to this. And Shiv's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, stamp, you know, a dance on your grave when this happens. And he just kind of walks in and goes, well, he wants a merger of equals, dad. So I guess like he just leaves it open ended. And his dad's like, 
well, let's do it then. And the whole dynamic in the room completely turns around. Like Jerry, all of a sudden is going like, well, it makes sense. They, you know, we need yep. a streamer and mm-hmm. Shiv jumps on too. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird how that whole thing just turned around in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the dick pic drops <laughs> and he doesn't say like, wow, why am I trusting this guy? He, he <laughs> seems like he's going forward with this, right? It's nuts. I hadn't thought about it in those, in that framing, but yes. <laughs> And like I mentioned last week, I thought that Sar, you know, Skarsgård was, you know, manipulating his stock. Yes. One episode ago, we were going on about how great he looked in this. I'm like, he looked a little scraggly, a little uh, puffy in this, but I think intentionally so, right? Because he's been like I, sleeping on the floor because. Yes, that I thought was very funny. I have to have the best of everything. So while we're doing a yep. deep dive on the best mattress, I'm sleeping on the floor. On the floor, exactly. <laughs> It's the best or nothing. That's just how it is. Yeah, come on. And his whole like success is easy. I'm successful all the time. I want to fail <laughs> right. or something. I mean, come yeah. on. Ugh. Which, by the way, big red flag, big red flag that this is his mindset right now that he's like, you know, he might be a little Asperger's or something. There's something a little weird about his personality. Definitely someone who I'm going to be rolling my eyes internally a lot if I'm around him. But um... Roman is. He tells his dad, you know, this guy's not a clown. He asks him if he's yeah. a clown. I'm not used to it. Logan at one point says, I'm not used to negotiating by eggplant because of the I tweet. I loved all of the trying to <laughs> down the Instagram photo and the emoji and like what <laughs> right. you mean and like everyone's different interpretations of them. And like, you're like trying to literally tell from that photo and the emojis is the, has the deal fallen apart. Tom's like, is he trying to have sex with a game company or something? <laughs> Does it mean he's going to buy a game company and then have sex with it? <laughs> Maybe speaking of Tom, let's say another very important interaction in this whole entire episode is the whole Shiv Tom thing. Well, yikes. Brutal. Brutal. First of all, as you know, you and I texted a little bit, uh, Shiv should be a woman of the world, but she doesn't seem to understand yeah. what dirty talk is. <laughs> This is not it. Unless you have some kind of agreement about someone liking to feel humiliated, which like, okay, that is not something I'm particularly familiar with, but I guess, but that didn't seem to be what they are getting at. It seemed to be their traditional version of dirty talk. And so she goes for the like heart crushing. I don't love you and you're not good enough for me. (laughs) I mean, what is that? And then he tries to get past it. But then she revisits it the next day. She won't even yes. go in like where there's no excuse anymore of why she would say such a hurtful thing, doubles down on it and like says this crazy, ambiguous, I don't love you, but I love you. I, what is that? Yes. And I do think what's the dynamic that's playing out there, by the way, is I think she wanted him to become the aggressor and he immediately backs off. And I think she's, dis- I, this is my read on it. I think she's disappointed that he basically didn't step it up. And he's like, no, 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 you do it, right? Mm-hmm. And then I don't think she's trying to really be, she's not trying to really do dirty talk. She's just trying to be mean. But, you know. She's trying to like have an excuse to say what it right. really feels right. under the disguise of like, oh, we agreed. We were just doing this as like a, a bit, right? Like- right, right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> which is, I mean- I guess fair under certain circumstances, but boy, this one is hurtful. Oh my God. Very hurtful. And, uh, you know, kicking puppies, going back to the idea of kicking dogs. So that's what she's doing right there. Oh, and the other thing I found very funny about that whole scene is, you know, her mom says you should never have kids. So now she's like, let's have kids. Yes. (laughs) Which is maybe her motivator in life is like, what did my parents not want me to do? That's what I'm going to do. Maybe that's why she's, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, consulting for Democrats. (laughs) 
<laughs> but she can't even commit to that, right? Because no, no. still, she won't, she doesn't want to be pregnant right now. She wants to freeze embryos. Right. And you know what? She's right. You don't freeze eggs, you freeze embryos. I have been down that road. She is right about that. <laughs> but <laughs> nonetheless, like it's clear that even in trying to stick it to her mom, she still is not willing to fully be on board with that with Tom. Right. For whatever reasons, maybe because she doesn't really love him, but, um, but she's really hedging it of like, well, we'll do the embryos. And then, you know, there's all sorts of agreements. And she basically insinuates that if something were to happen to them, she's certainly not going to go ahead and have the kid. And he's like, I would be on board with that. You should definitely do that. And she is not prepared for that either. So right. she's definitely not th thought through any of this. No. And I mean, she's backing away from it immediately, right? Like you said, it's like, hey, you know, this way it's like a half measure. Yeah. All right. So two more things before we wrap up. Two minor ones, I think. One is the porcupine, the concubine, and the skunk. The, this is the, yes. the gift that, that Caroline is getting, right? What does that mean? No, <laughs> what do you think? It's the reference to Logan showing up with the assistant that he's having the affair with and Marsha. Right. He's the skunk. Marsha's the porcupine. And the assistant is the, the concubine. Concubine. That's how I took it. I think that's the only read. <laughs> I think yeah. you're right. I, I don't. I, I was very <laughs> confused by this, and I'm like, okay. I guess because Marsha's so prickly, she's the porcupine. He's the skunk because he's just a skunk, I guess. <laughs> and uh, the concubine, of course, because you know yes. that's. The, uh, oh my god! And they have a horrible conversation about like whether they're still having sex and everything. <laughs> yes. I mean, the family dynamic there is just so out of control and like no boundaries whatsoever. <laughs> so. Right, right. Oh my God. And the mom, uh, you know, married this Peter guy uh, who seems to be a total loser. And yeah, so that whole thing is just crazy. We can't don't have time to break that all down, but <laughs> probably a very, very bad choice on her part. Agree. Yes. The nursing home rehabilitation person. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the last thing I wanted to mention was, oh, of course, the big thing, which is, you know, what everybody's been tweeting and yes. talking about. And every thought piece this week of, from every culture writer is that, is Kendall dead or not? And, and most of them think he is dead. What's your opinion on this? First of all, I had remained unspoiled. It did not even occur to me that Kendall could be dead. I did not think that I saw his face in the water. I could definitely be wrong about that. I mean, I saw the beer bottle drop, though. And second, I thought it was a reference to Logan's conversation. How yeah. long do you think he was in the water? How long do you think he could hold his breath? I thought that's what Kendall was thinking of. First of all, I don't think he is suicidal, but certainly a lot of people are suicidal that don't appear outwardly suicidal. I don't think he would do it in these circumstances if right, he were right. at a family wedding with his kids around. I, I don't see that in him, but... But I, hey, I could certainly be wrong. It seems like I'm in the minority, I guess, from what you're saying. Uh, I mean, this is at least what the, the headlines are. I mean, I'm sure there are people who in general feel the opposite. I rewatched it specifically after people were having this conversation. And he's like laying with his face on the mattress. The kids go inside and then he scoots off the edge of the mattress. His face, when he drops the, the bottle, his face is in the water. I thought the raft would like be separating his face from the water. Well, he has his face in the water. And then what happens is that the bubbles, he's bubbles coming out of his nose, by the way. So this is me really breaking down the scene because of no, this. That's you know, more and I watched it, so I appreciate it. Sure, sure. I read it the same as you did anyway, regardless of this additional details. He, uh, You see bubbles coming out of his nose. The bottle is dropping simultaneously. And then basically the bubbles stop coming out of his nose. And that's where the edit happens. That's when the cut happens. Even with that additional context, I read it exactly the same way as you did. Now that the kids are not there, he's going to see how long would it take yeah. 
before he yeah. starts to panic, right? Yeah. So he's trying to experience it, but I don't see it as a suicide. Where I disagree a little bit with what you said is I have gotten cues from him this season that he is indeed suicidal, hmm. but I still don't believe that he would do that with his kids, right? You know, 10 feet away, no matter how depressed he is, it just seems like he would do that in some private way when the kids don't have to like fly back to the United States to be with their mom and stuff. You know, like, that just seems totally crazy to do that in that circumstance. So, I mean, I guess there have been, I think there was one time that he referenced something about not being here anymore. Yes. Um, that is birthday. Yeah. So there was that time and they do like to bring him to heights and have him yes. to the edge. Right. So exactly. I'll take back that part. I mean, I guess, I mean, I do think he's got some kind of psychological disorder, so it could be part of that as well. But yeah, I still don't think in these circumstances would be his time to do it. I agree, but I can't wait to see what happens. We'll know next week. At least it's not a season cliffhanger. <laughs> oh, and one other thing that I thought was interesting, a bit of trivia. Sorry, not nearly mm-hmm. as interesting as that cliffhanger. Sure. I thought it was interesting that Shiv's mom says she's blaming Shiv for choosing to stay with the dad and all of that. Right. Um, and she was blaming the mom for letting him have custody, I guess. And um, mm-hmm. and the mom says something about like it was the only way you could keep your shares, which I thought yep. interesting, too, that Logan used that as leverage. And maybe in some ways, um, a wise thing that the mom did to ensure their financial stability. I don't know where the mom, what kind of family the mom comes from to know if they'd be OK otherwise. I agree. And uh, it's something Uh, Shiv just skates right by. But if it's true, and there is a question as to whether it's true. And also, of course, there's also a question that, you know, the mom didn't see them. She, if once again, if we trust everything she's saying, she did move back to the States to be closer to them. And maybe he was intentionally not allowing her Mm -hmm. to see the kids, even though she was relatively, this needs to be clarified. We don't have a hundred percent confirmation on what she's saying, but if it's true, that basically the only reason they have those shares in the corporation was a negotiation with the mother to give him more control over them. You said, uh, you know, they theoretically could have been completely alienated from right. the family at this point and, uh, or, or from the father at this point, and they could have no stakes in this business at all, which maybe from a personal standpoint <laughs> might better. be more, <laughs> right? might've been better for their mental well being. but yes, for their mental health, they could have actually been, but we'll never know. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I have no doubt, Peter, that you will never be bored in the brief time that you're married. That's, uh, but in all seriousness, there is no one like my mom. And you're a lucky guy. And I am jealous of the time that you get to spend with her. I hope that your marriage is as rich and happy, rewarding and fulfilling as mine. So here's to uh, the bride and groom. All right, Sona. So to get started with this episode, I thought rather than doing like a whole moment by moment breakdown of the episode, considering we're really at the end of it here, I think it might be better to discuss some of the things thematically that happened in the show and and maybe just start from the the end almost in a way and, and step backwards from there. Just as a little introduction, I, I, I don't think you've seen this on but I wanted to recommend it out there. I literally just watched The Power of the Dog on Netflix this weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't think I know it. It was like number one on Netflix for a moment. I don't think general audiences are going to like this movie, by the way, but it's uh, probably going to be nominated, if not win Best Picture this year. And it's a Western by Jane Campion, who directed- Uh, I'm out. (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised, Sona. You'd be surprised. And this is the reason I mentioned it, that uh, I'm going to do a whole deeper dive on that story 
when we cover Dexter, because that's going to be my sociopath of the week. <laughs> it's going to be the lead character in that movie, uh, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, who gives a great performance. But uh, the reason I brought it up here is because can't help but correlating these two things, watching them so close together. That is also a story where you're watching one story, but there's actually a different story that's all being laid out right in front of you. <laughs> and you're not paying attention to it until the very end. Mm -hmm. And the uh, same thing happens here. And maybe the same thing has been happening this whole entire season. So what's your general impression of this episode before we uh, get into the specifics? Well, I think we were paying attention to it, though, if, at least if we're thinking of the same thing, right, about what is going on in this marriage and right. how disinterested can somebody be in a serious trauma that their spouse is right. undergoing and begging them to pay attention to. All of these things do have consequences. So, you know, maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, but it all does come around eventually, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and I think there's two things there. I absolutely think that Tom is one of them, right? And uh, just to lay it out there, I assume everybody's watched this episode at this point and we're all thinking the same thing. But the finale of the episode is that Tom betrays Shiv and, uh, you know, this whole entire uh, season, like you said, Sona, we actually have been paying attention to this, but I feel like I've been talking about Greg being maybe the guy who's always in the room, who's, That's you know, true. not making power plays, right? By the way, always correlating Greg and Tom together. But yes, I myself am ignoring Tom the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> And there are all these sketchy things that you can think about. There's the conversation he has when he first offered himself up as a sacrificial lamb to mm -hmm. Logan. And then he's on the phone with the lawyer. We still don't know the details of that. I think even in one of the earlier episodes, I mentioned, I hope that he is like feeling out these characters and he's not just plain faced in his actions as he appears to be. Is that the case or not? I always kind of give him the, didn't give him the benefit of the doubt saying like, no, he's just, um, He's just in love with her, which he was. I think he still is, possibly. I took his actions at face value, and it uh, turns out, no. Like, I think he probably was, indeed, feeling these things out and making his plays. And he's probably just smart enough to not share them with anybody else because he knows he can't trust any of them. And I think also, um, in a way, maybe at a certain point, I don't think initially, but at a certain point, it turned to testing her, right? Yes, okay. yes. I personally am a very big fan, and this probably says something very twisted about my personality, about like giving someone enough rope to hang themselves. Yep. And I do it at work often where I've spotted something fundamentally wrong with someone's work, but instead of saying, you did this wrong, let's fix it. I'll say, do you really think that? Have you considered X? If you're really paying attention, you'd say, like, why is she asking me this question? Right. Probably because there's something that I need to consider there. Depending on the personality type, many people will just double down, say, like, yep, I'm sure. And then you're like, OK, well, you forced my hand. Now I have to call you out on it. Like you could have saved face a little bit and fixed your work yourself. Now I've got to fix it for you. And it's kind of, I think, maybe the same thing. Like at a certain point, the questions turned. Do you really not care about me? Let me see. Let me ask you this. Do you really not care this might happen? And right. she failed every single time. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She failed across the board. And right? if he was testing her, you know, like I mentioned before, I was like, oh, he's just offering his belly. Now, in retrospect, once again, that's why I correlated to that other movie I, I brought up in retrospect. That these were tests when he's saying, like, let's have a kid. It's an, another way of him saying, prove your loyalty to me, prove yeah. that we're in it in some way. And she's like, nope. You know, and these were all things that we laughed at at the time, but no, he was serious about him. And, and, you know, she faces the consequences of her actions. I mean, she made it crystal clear to him that in the end, they are not a team. Like, right. 
the end, he is in it alone. If he wants to go along with her, that's his option that she is granting him. She's not going to look out for him. He has to look out for himself. The second thing I wanted to bring up, which is, again, a little magic trick they pulled off here. It's not only Tom that I think about the story they've been telling, what's happening and what is actually happening. I just thought about this like literally minutes before we started recording, but it's the fact that it's Logan also. How many times in this season have I talked about how crazy it is that Logan is so caught off in this family BS? He's potentially not keeping his eye on the ball with, you know, what's happening with the business itself and the reality that the business is going down and, you know, he's losing power uh, and the stock price is going down and people have multiple near misses for taking over the control of the company, et cetera. And I'm like, I can't believe he's just tied up in this family business. And what I just realized was now in retrospect that I think about it, we're never in Logan's POV. Our POV characters are the kids. So it's not that Logan is caught up with this family dynamic. It's the kids are caught up in this family dynamic. So he's probably completely right to not trust them at all because they can't get past this crap. How can he trust them to run this business? Mm-hmm. And, and they just expected that they were going to be handed this thing. <laughs> Apparently, that's not what happened, right? Logan is going taking his exit. He's taking what Madison offered him to say, you know, here you go. I'm going to offer you a very pretty price. I'm going to allow you to keep all your prestige and your your ego is uh, stoked. He does the right thing. He, he knows how to play Logan in this regard. And Logan's like, hey, great. Like, wh- how much longer do I have? Like all these things I said that Logan's not paying attention to. He probably was paying attention to all of this. And he's thinking that this is the practical decision to make. And once again, I do, I get where Logan's coming from and I don't disagree with that. I think he's doing the right thing. Listen, it's not like he's acting like they're leaving. He's leaving them penniless and destitute out on the street corner. They're going to have gazillions to their name. All he's screwing them out of is that ownership of the company and the power that comes with that. They and the many generations after that will be taken care of. They have no worries, you know, and he's saying, hey, I'm running a business. You got to know when to cut your losses and move on. The time has come. I think from his view, listen, clearly I don't trust any of these three to fix the problem that I have. (laughs) Right. What can I do to fix the problem that I have? Get out while the getting's good. That is a wise business decision. Right. Once again, not that we know anything about this in the real world, but to correlate this to the real world, I try to add at least some kind of context here to to folks who are listening. Not that Madison actually correlates to Disney, obviously. Madison correlates to somebody more like, almost like an Elon Musk character, but the technology he has is more like a Netflix, something like that. So this he doesn't correlate to anything in the real world, I should say. However... Uh, you know, since the template for this whole show is really the whole dynamic within the Rupert Murdoch family, we all own Disney Plus. If you are a parent, you must have Disney Plus. And you've probably noticed that everything that's from Fox, 20th Century Fox, like The Simpsons, for example, all their TV shows, Avatar, you know, the, the Star Wars movies, everything Star Wars, which, which is a 20th Century Fox property, is all on Disney Plus. Because what happened was News Corps sold off their IP to Disney. And they kept just the newspapers and their cable channels. So we're seeing this same dynamic play out here. Rupert Murdoch downsized. And once again, we don't know what happened inside the family. But just like a week before uh, this sale went through to Disney, one of the the, the siblings, one of the oldest um, son, who was kind of like the heir apparent to the family business, had made an announcement saying that this was right during the election cycle. The news business was getting too toxic. It was getting too divisive. Basically, they were going to sell off their news assets and only be 
a content provider for the future. And then, of course, a week later, <laughs> the exact opposite thing actually ended up happening. So not to say that this is a one-to-one -one correlation, but there were some problematic discussions going on internally in there as well. So, And that's kind of what we're seeing here, a much exaggerated, fictionalized version of that dynamic. Mm -hmm. So that's a little context for that. But in that regard... That, yeah, I think that you're right that, you know, Logan is making a, a pragmatic choice. And uh, and I feel like I have been judging him throughout the season as not being pragmatic. I have a lot of criticisms about his behavior in this episode, by the way. But to uh -huh. your point, as far as making business decisions, he's, Listen, he's making... still a monster. I'm not saying he's oh, not a monster. Right, right. <laughs> but still to that point, he's still making business decisions. He is making business decisions. These kids are not making business decisions, and he knows that, and that's probably why they shouldn't be in charge of things. Oh, but one thing I was going to push back slightly on what you were saying is that I agree that they're pretty set up in some way, but I honestly think there has to be some way he is controlling their stock, because if they could just sell their stock and cash out, they would have done that. Connor, for example, last year when he wanted to put the stage show on, he basically asked his dad that he needed another $100 million. So he's literally going to his dad and asking for money, right? Because, and, and I'm pretty sure if they had access to their stock, which I'm sure the dad would probably not allow them to just liquidate their stock because it would, they probably have a, a substantial amount of it if they liquidated it all. And he, I don't think he would trust them <laughs> with that amount of control over the stock of the company. So Yes, in some way, they're always going to be taken care of, but he is still controlling their purse strings, right? Interesting. Okay, I will consider that. But to your point, it's not like they're going to be impoverished, right? Like any one of mm -hmm. these people can go get a job that pays a decent salary and he throws it right out there to them, by the way. I love that <laughs> towards the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll circle back around to it anyway. But when they said, oh, what do you want? Another $5 billion to put on top of your other billions? And he goes, yeah, that's what I want. And they're like, <laughs> what are we supposed to do? And he goes, go make your own piles. And I don't necessarily disagree, by the way. Same. You know how I feel about it. <laughs> right. That being said, <laughs> he is a total baby when uh, Shiv confronts him and he imitates her. You're playing toy fucking soldiers. Go on. Fuck off! I have you beat, you morons! Well, no, because you need a supermajority oh, in the well, only no, government. because I need a supermajority in the Benjamin. Please. Please? Please. The seat sniffer gets a fucking leg up. That's a deal. What have you got in your fucking hand? What have I got? I don't know. Fucking love? You come for me with love. Dad, why? Why? Because it works. I fucking win. Oh, go on, go on, fuck off, you nosy fucking pedestrians. So really not the most mature behavior to say that they obviously have all these interpersonal issues, but we see right there where they all came from. <laughs> That's right. So. Well, between that and the mom put together. Yeah. <laughs> oof, oof. Then the mom betraying them like, wow, uh, what a, <laughs> oh boy. So, so what's your read on that, by the way, the specifics of it? I mean, you know, it's kind of vague what they're describing there, but it looks like she negotiated, the mom had negotiated in the divorce that the kids, we already touched this on this in the very last episode, right? That she had negotiated some kind of power that they have where they can veto 
a change of ownership. So if this had been even a 50-50, they really wouldn't have this veto power. But since it's an actual acquisition, they can actually put the brakes on. So this was actually pretty smart that her lawyer or she herself asked for this you know, veto power. It looks like she is still the one who controlled that lever, right? So then he was able to, since that condition was in the prenup, They've basically rewritten the prenup. And it turns out it's purely so she could keep that apartment she likes so much. But, yes. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. These people who are like in their 80s, right? She's probably younger. She's probably in her 70s. You know, I, I want my comforts. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. I mean, and again, like going back to the other thing also, like what is going on with your money? I'm sure she yeah. has a great settlement. Like, can't she just buy another place? I, I don't know. There are some questions here as to why certain things are so important to other people, but whatever, let's go with it. I don't mind. (laughs) Well, I mean, partially, I think that I wonder, we're only seeing her in the context of this relationship with Peter, but I wonder if she's been similarly in relationships where she seems to be the type of person to say he handles the money thing and they might have wiped her out in the past. And she had to kind of come asking for assistance from Logan in the past. Logan might have her on a relatively short leash so that he she does have to come for him, you know, to, for that Maybe. money on a regular basis, which I can imagine that he would still want that level of control. Another possibility too is, you know, I, you just look at how she's living with this um, villa being rented out for this wedding and everything. She's in some kind of royal family. That doesn't mean she's rich though, right? And if she's trying mm-hmm. to live at that level, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in total may not be enough to, you know, live on. Maybe. But I mean, plenty of people who are very, very rich somehow figure out a way to burn all their money. So Fair enough. The next thing I find interesting is that here we see finally the kids are all united for the first time, right? First, they rally around Kendall. And I guess we should just get that out of the way too. I was a little annoyed by this, to be honest with you. So we're trying to figure out last week, everybody, the discussion. And by the end of the week, by the way, everyone decided Kendall's dead. It's over. Right? So I was very I know, surprised. At least we were on the right side of that one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I was a little surprised because I honestly thought it was even more minor than what we end up seeing there, where basically it looks like it was a suicide attempt. So either intentionally or inadvertently, we probably are right with the psychology of it. He's putting his face underwater to try to see how long he can hold his breath and then probably passed out. And once again, either intentionally or unintentionally, almost killed himself by falling into the pool. Yeah, I feel like it's more like not that he was trying to kill himself, but he, he wasn't not trying to kill himself. Right. If exactly. That makes yeah. sense. It's negligence, right? Which is basically what will cause the death of that kid too. Yeah. Right? Like not trying to take the actions that most would to preserve their own life. I I was very annoyed with him, by the way. He shows up and I think that he would be humbled in some way. He's not. He's, you know, like, I'm going to do Vanity Fair covers and we got new lawyers in place. And, you know, he's back on his exact same tone. But we do see later on a scene where he breaks down. Mm -hmm. That was an amazing scene. Yeah. And you really see how much anguish he's going through. And you really the awkwardness of that freaking family my god (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly it's a really interesting scene by the way the way it's staged we see first of all that they kind of go to the this place where they can be alone the first thing i found interesting is that we see the bus boys going in and out putting the garbage out and everything (laughs) which of course is immediately echoes to the boy at shift's wedding right and maybe that's why he's so triggered by all of this feels it's too similar to to before so i like the way they're staging that and then i find it very interesting that we see shiv be very warm right which is what she portrays but of course as soon as she gets that phone call she like walks away and meanwhile roman does want to be there for I'm him sorry, you thought that was shiv being warm 
I think that Shiv shows some empathy to him. Like hard disagree. <laughs> in other words, she performs empathy is what I'm trying to say. But uh, yes, I don't but think it's she's such a weak performance that there's nothing behind it. It's transparent to me. Roman, I felt, was at least trying to relate in his way that yes. I, I understand is completely unhelpful. Right. But I think it came from a compassionate place. Shiv was like a robot. Like, yeah. I guess this is what I'm supposed to say. So I'll say these words. I, I didn't feel that was uh, to me. That was like painful to watch. Like. Yeah. Do not even have the human instinct to put your hand on that person's shoulder or it was painful for me. Yeah, I, I think we disagree a little bit in the fact that I thought that she can still read her behavior as being empathetic. But where I think we agree is that hers was more of a performance, totally. And Roman, as you know, bad as he is at it, he still tried to be there for him, right? Like legitimately, right? In, in his way. own yep dysfunctional way but it was legit but it was sincere right it was sincere and i think that's what's kind of become apparent here as especially with roman's interactions with his dad as well as messed up as he is he is sincere he just is dysfunctional he mm -hmm. cannot express himself properly mm -hmm. <laughs> shiv is sociopath yes yeah but unaware of it by the way i think she still has this duality where she perceives herself to be a good person as long as she that's does what so aggravating. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, and I I'm very curious to follow up with uh with Sarah if anybody hasn't seen listened to this by the way over the weekend I dropped uh, an episode uh, my friend Sarah does like a psychological case study of the family and I'm very curious to know where she's at with this now with the finale because some of these dynamics she talked about the kids themselves kind of plays out here so we have a little more evidence with all of them by the way not just the kids but the the mother when she mm -hmm. was discussing the mother in that recap she hadn't seen she was like four episodes behind. It, there's a lot more evidence of it here, basically, let's say. Oh, and the other thing I was going to mention about that scene as well, you know, we obviously have Roman trying to comfort uh, Kendall in his own way, using these kind of very inappropriate jokes, which, of course, is his usual way. And it does break through a little bit with Kendall. No, he does start laughing towards the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, one waiter down, that makes sense. It took me forever to get a fucking drink at her wedding. Please, man. Okay, I, yeah. I can't do it. You're right. No. I guess I'm just trying to say, like, who's the real victim here? I waited three quarters of an hour for a gin and tonic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in that scene, specifically, I found it very upsetting when Kendall says that he that he's not connected to anything he doesn't feel anything with his, his kids he doesn't feel anything with his family he's just not feeling anything anymore and i think that kind of speaks to him potentially having tried to commit suicide right in front of them right if he doesn't right. feel any yes. connection anymore yeah and i mean when he says i'm so lonely or it's so lonely we went into the water and then i left him in there and ran okay uh Let's, we gotta get you, come on, let's... It's fucking lonely. Hey. I'm all apart. Wow, that is really painful yeah. to think, right? Like, that is, and I can only imagine how, how alone he must feel in this. In my conversation with Sarah, I mentioned, as she was discussing some of the points in the show, I remembered in season two, when he tries to talk to his mother about it, and the mother <laughs> just wants to talk about her things. And mm -hmm. he just literally cannot get her to listen to him. 
And I'm like, this is so terrible. She t- he tells his dad, his dad blackmails him. He tries to talk to his mother and his mom. She's just like, I can't deal with your stuff right now. I have all my things going on. And he has like no one to turn to. I hate that I'm in the position of a Logan Roy defender here. <laughs> okay. Yes, his dad blackmailed him. He also helped him cover it up. Covered it up, yes. So that he didn't get in trouble with the law. So yeah. double-edged sword on that one. Uh, the mom, though, was definitely purposefully avoiding the conversation and making it so that he would never be able to tell her. There are times that we've wondered about his character. I think how much he was able to move on from it. And then they did a good job of reminding us, though, that it's still there for him. When his father forces him to go back and visit the family and he wants to money and like, I think this was a nice way to bring it back to like, he has been living with this every single day since it happened. And it's torture. Exactly. Exactly. I think he uh, did a a great job there. Did you believe his story of how it happened? I think it does go back even in, I, I have to rewatch it to be certain, but I do think he tried yeah. to go back in the water. In my recollection of it, he tries to go back in, but he really can't even really get down into the water. You know, obviously the, the car is probably completely submerged. I don't think it's like a action movie where he's like going all the way down and trying to like breathe yeah. into this kid's mouth or something. Uh, I, you know, he probably just went back in and tried to look for the car, you know, in, in the dark, like I'm sure he couldn't find it. And he right. just came back out again. Yeah. I think that's my recollection of it. You know, he tried to do the, the bare minimum, but he should still feel terrible about it because even if the kid grabbed the steering wheel, even if all these other things are true, you know, he was high and mm-hmm. he's in the car with like a, an 18 year old, 20 year old, yep. whatever this kid is. No, absolutely. No, <laughs> you know, absolutely. It's, like, it's negligence. Minimally, it's extreme negligence, right? So, yep. And I mean, that speaks to the whole entire family. <laughs> yes. Other great stuff, uh, you know, uh, if you have great things to discuss, uh, I have so many, but here's just some that I wanted to touch on. One was how great is Willis face when she gets to the car after she accepts the <laughs> the wedding, uh, the proposal? Oh, my God. How bad can it be? <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear that <laughs> in response to when you spend your life with me? How bad could it be? Oh, my God. <laughs> that after she accepts it. She like looks to the woman who like, you know, is the valet and she just kind of smiles, half smiles at her, kind of like, huh? And then she gets into the car and the camera pulls in. It's like almost like something out of the office where we just see her through the crack in the door and this like deer in the headlights. She's like, Uh what did I just do to myself? Oh my Uh God. All right. Second question is, do you believe this, um, the matcha shakes that he's been drinking? Do you think he's trying to have another kid? That was interesting. I don't know. I mean, he definitely seemed shocked to see the green juice. I wonder if, Oh, I cannot retain that assistant's name to save my life. Oh, I know. Yes. Carrie. Carrie? No, not no, Carrie. No, it's not Terry. No. No, Carrie, I thought, but it's oh. not Carrie. Is it like Carrie? Anyway, um, the assistant with the bangs, because you know how I yes. am on bangs. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. <laughs> you know, I wonder if maybe she is trying to influence his diet to inadvertently get pregnant. I don't think he is purposefully trying to do that. What do you think? I think he's, whatever he's doing, I, you know, it could just be like a health uh, routine that he's on or something. I, I, I think he's participating in it. But more interesting to me is, what did you think about her interaction with Marsha? Marsha did not seem to have like a, I'm bullying the help uh, interaction with her. She seemed to have a very much like, hey, make sure we, you know, we, I want my omelet in my room tonight, blah, blah, blah. It was very transactional, but always, but very like professional. So mm-hmm. do you think that either this affair is not really happening or are they using her as a surrogate or something? Like, what What do you think? Hmm. I hadn't considered the surrogate thing at all. Um, 
there was a lot of talk about frozen <laughs> embryos and that stuff. So did, maybe uh, I don't know. I mean, I did. It did occur to me last night, you know, the contrast of how she's responding to this as opposed to the whole Holly Hunter. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, 180 degrees. And I don't know, I, in my head, is like, does she just not feel threatened by this girl? Maybe there have been a thousand girls like this and she just looks the other way. And Holly Hunter was like something formidable that she was actually threatened by. I don't know. What's interesting with the Holly Hunter thing that you brought it up again is that he basically says like, it's not sexual with her. And Marsha's like, I don't even care if it's sexual or not. Like she saw, like you, to your point, she saw it as a threat more than that because she felt like she had become like an advisor and a confidant, which I guess right. Marsha sees that as more of a threat than just another sexual partner. Right. Because remember at that birthday party, she was very offended that he had made some sort of decision without telling her. I cannot remember what it is. Yes. Maybe it was the decision to merge with the Holly Hunter company. I don't know. Right. But remember, she was like, you decided this without telling me. And she right. just stopped off like she was very offended by that. Right. Her name is Carrie. Is that what your guess was? It is Carrie. Yeah, my name, my guess was Carrie. The she actress is anything like a carry. I think that's why I'm having a problem with it. But the actress's name is Zoe Winters, which first of yeah. all sounds like a stage name, which probably is. <laughs> but second of all, it seems much more appropriate. <laughs> yeah, that like girl just like a carry to me based on prior carries I have known. But OK, it is carry with a K, though. K-E-R-R-Y. So maybe that. No, I understand it's not carry. It's carry. Yeah. Carry. Yeah. But also what I thought was good, this is completely departing. The Monopoly game was great. Ship yes. is cheating. Cheating, I, is, cheating is part of the game. And also I like Connor's explosion mm-hmm. about being the eldest. I thought that was a long time coming. Yes. Um, in how he gets treated as the red-haired stepchild, black yep. sheep, whatever you want to call it. They're their little threesome, their trio. And he's an afterthought every time. And for yep. Kendall just casually say, well, as the eldest, blah, blah, blah. Yes. I blame him one bit for losing it. <laughs> yep, yep. That was literally my next uh, note was, you know, I'm the firstborn, right? So uh, mm-hmm. exactly. That, that is absolutely correct. And I find it very interesting that even after that, Alan Ruck, congratulations, gets to have a, a, a solid scene. But, um, you know, he has a couple of really great scenes, actually, in this episode. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, is that then Schiff calls him on the phone and uh, loops him in as they're like halfway to uh, meeting up with them. Once again, like literally cut him out of the conversation again. He had a great little thing with Willa about like, yeah, I couldn't sleep because of the AC. Yeah. And you know, she just pushes him the littlest bit about, oh, it was the AC and he unloads it all. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which is just so him. Yeah. How bad could it be? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> okay next point i have here that i thought was very good was the whole conversation between madison and logan i touched on it earlier but madison reads logan immediately which i think is great nobody in the show ever is willing to actually have a legitimate attack on logan i thought this was interesting it was almost a seduction scene between the two of them although madison's like maybe asperger's so it's his version of seduction right and it's madison i think just madison is it madison i think it's madison yeah but I like the fact that he reads Logan immediately in that he says, you're bored. <laughs> yep. And Logan kind of just says, like, you know, no one ever tells him that. You know, he comes in there with his usual bluster. Yeah. It sounds like Kendall here, right? He's like, get a lot of churn on your subscribers, which is something that, like, by the way, Netflix used to have a big problem with that earlier on, although they've become much more stable with their subscriber base now. But still, you know, we're more well, stable. Everyone finally found their network that they're going to share their password with. So there's no need to. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Right. 
Um, or they lock down the number of devices with which you can have uh, logged into at the same time. Yeah, so probably another way to get their subscribers up. Although I think like 75, 80% of America has Netflix at this point. So I think they pretty much can't get any more market share than they already have. Wow. So I think it's interesting that he calls them out and says, you're bored. And I don't know how interested you are in the business anymore. And he's like basically dissecting him, right? And uh, And Logan really doesn't have anything to say back at him. I guess people don't tell him these things, which they're just too afraid of him. But it's interesting to see him just pick him apart and Logan doesn't have anything to say. And then he goes, well, how about this? I come in, I buy you. I give you probably similar to the Disney deal. Disney, they actually broke off the businesses. They actually sold off those that chunk of the business, basically made themselves smaller. But in this case, it looks like what they would probably do is the company would still exist, but it will be owned by this content uh, streamer uh, um, service. And then like, you know, probably the newspaper or something like he says, like, you know, you're still the figurehead, you're still on paper, you run some part of the business. I assume it's going to be the newspaper, the news part of the business. That's my guess mm -hmm. for next season, because he only wants their content. He doesn't really care about the rest of the stuff. And I think that that is probably going to be the structure. And Logan's like, hey, look, I get out. I get to look good. I get the cash out. Mm -hmm. And he sends Roman off. <laughs> of course, he uh, do you think Madison like played? Roman this whole time, like, because they, they blew off that meeting with Logan originally, and then he brings Roman in on it. And then like, do you think this was all a play from the beginning with him? Or is he's just kind of, you know, he's just a poker player who's just playing his cards? Maybe not the initial overtures back and forth. Yeah, I feel like maybe he was like playing a little game in that last episode with the emojis, whatever, like, could I get my market cap to go up and maybe right, right, where right. this deal is going to go? Oh, I can't. Right. You know, like, okay, so maybe let's see how that plays out. You know, right. that's how I'm seeing it. I think so, too. I think it's more like playing cards. Like you said, that first he's like, I'm not interested in this. I don't want to get into media. It's baloney. And they're kind of toxic. Their brand is kind of toxic. And then, you know, Roman makes that overture and he goes, well, if he's willing to make an acquisition, maybe now I could push it to 50-50. And then once he gets that 50-50, he's like, well, what if I buy you guys? Like, you know, what if we're uh, more than 50? Yeah. And it all worked out, apparently. All right. The next thing I want to talk about the Greg and Tom dynamic. Once again, these like two peas in a pod where uh -huh. Tom says, you could be heading away from the endless middle and towards the bottom of the top. The bottom of the top. And could I get my own, my own, like your own Greg? Yeah. You can have 20. Do you want a deal with the devil? What am I going to do with a soul anyways? Souls are boring. <laughs> Boo, souls. <laughs> of course. But what did you think about this scene? And when you when he first said make a deal with the devil, what do you think was happening? I did not yet suspect that yeah, Tom had this double deal going on. Yep. So I thought it was just like the, um, the coup, kind of, right? Like yep. the overthrow of it. I thought is what he was referring to as the the devil, like not being loyal to yep. Yep. Logan. Mm -hmm. I read it very superficially that way. But I also felt, I think Greg has maybe now learned to not show his cards. Right. And so even though he did make that deal, I felt like Greg in his head was thinking, or I'll back out of it if I have to. You know, like I'll see what this is about. And if it works for me, great. And if not, what are they going to do to me? That's kind of how I saw it. Speaking of that, the initiator to the conversation with Tom and Greg 
is that he apparently is making the moves on the uh, Contessa slash princess slash yogurt influencer. That's and, right. And uh, he's very proud of himself there. But I also like that he speaks up for himself. Uh, you know, he's usually intimidated by the family members. But when Roman says, oh, don't talk to this guy, don't talk to this guy, he says, it's very well known that you're a well-known sexual pervert. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, speaking of that is... Uh, Oh my God, Shiv taunting Roman about a sexual dysfunction the whole oh. entire episode, including yeah, when his mom's walking down the aisle. Yes, that oh was dark. God. That's very, but very also, good. can I ask you, I have a hard time keeping track of fashion these days ever since lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a really hard time keeping track of men's fashion. But are Roman's shirts not too tight? He's always worn these fitted shirts and like I don't know. Like the buttons yeah. look like mm-hmm. they're about to burst. Yeah. And I understand the, the appeal of a fitted shirt. Believe yeah. me, I get it. And a man with a nicely fitted shirt looks good, but this looks like a little too small to me, you know? You want to know what I think is happening here? I think the costume designers are trying to do something. I mean, costume designers are always helping design the characters, to be honest with you. I, I think it's, I always forget about that. You know, this is a total side note, but Guillermo del toro who has a movie coming out this week by the way which i will be reviewing later <laughs> just another commercial but um <laughs> but he says something very interesting where he said that his uh says that the set decorator and the fashion designer are really really important to a film and someone was questioning him about that going really why is that so important and he goes when you meet a character is his shirt rumpled or clean does he have dirt on it did he button it all the way up so in other <laughs> words the way someone presents themselves is very important to how you perceive them so that's all handled by these people who do the the designing of the sets, of course, the locations, which of course say something as well as what the people are wearing. So all that being said, I think they're trying to say something here because when I wear a fitted shirt, by the way, if I put my hands on my hips and I put my elbows behind my back, that shirt is going, the buttons are going to open up. Like I, you, you can't wear a fitted shirt and then <laughs> act yes. the way he does. And That's I think- true. And I think they're saying something there that he's wearing the fitted shirt because he wants to look stylish. You know, he doesn't look like Kendall, who mm-hmm. looks all rumpled. He actually is wearing these fitted shirts. Someone bought them. They're probably very expensive clothes. But the way he's wearing it, it's like he's not caring about his presentation because, like we said before, he's twitching and he's yeah. got his arms all the way back like like a, a chicken like caught by, you know, caught by the wings. He like he's he a looks very, um, yeah spazzy guy yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, you know, and it shows in the fact that here's this guy who, you know, to wear a fitted shirt, you need to basically stand like a model. You don't twitch yeah. and flail your arms around right. because you, you put your hands up over your head. Your shirt's going to yeah. get untucked. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot. of, And I think that that is what they're presenting there in a way. But I totally agree. It's become more pronounced as the season goes on, because I think he's becoming more discombobulated, right? <laughs> more unhinged. No, I really noticed it last night. I yes. was kind of. Wow, what is happening with that, um, like that plum colored shirt? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, once again, just to harp on this one more time, following up on Shiv, you know, taunting him relentlessly about that, and then the wedding scene, and then Logan and Roman together on the boat. And he goes, Hey, that's a good looking woman over there, right? And of course, Roman's not even looking at her. <laughs> and then Logan, what an uncomfortable conversation to have with your dad. So, what is it, son? Are you scared of pussy? Is it all screens are up the ass with you or what? Jesus, no. God damn. Can we not? That's. It's That was just being horrible. It's good. It's all good. Yeah, well, it's just fucking. If you need to get straightened out, get straightened out. Okay? Yep. I don't want to know. 
<laughs> I mean, to be fair, no one wants to have that conversation with their dad, I don't think. But yeah, ever, ever, particularly right, uncomfortable right. here. Yes. <laughs> but it's like this is this is Logan's version of of trying to have that conversation, you know, following yeah. up, following up on the the dick pic <laughs> fiasco last week. <laughs> of course, the last thing I want to discuss here on these high notes is this incredible, like very Godfather-esque final scene where Logan's walking out of the room, pets. Tom on the shoulder, Tom mm-hmm. walks inside and, you know, this actress, uh, Sarah Snook, when she's just like sleeping with the enemy, right? Just that, that panic on her face, realizing what's happened, you know, and she's like, turns her face away and she's pretending like this is all okay. And then he comes up behind her. That's the end of the season right there on her face. That moment, the realization that Tom has done this to her and he's just playing it off. Hey, honey, how are you feeling? What's wrong? You know, it's, it's, it's so devastatingly evil in a way. I agree. This is excellent acting by Sarah Snook there because you could really um, see it on her face that she was processing everything that had happened. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a two things that I didn't like about this episode that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe three. One is I didn't like the way they kind of had that fake out with the death last week, which I know that probably the media blew that out of proportion. So in a way, it was like me drinking the Kool-Aid over the course of this week mm-hmm. that it made the way they just dismissed it at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Once again, it rubbed me the wrong way. But of course, that was on me because only because I had this week of anticipation, right? Which, mm-hmm. probably, you know, if you were binging it, it probably wouldn't matter at all. But right. Uh, it rubbed me the wrong way in, in in appreciating the episode. Understood. The second thing is as good as moments of that whole sequence where the siblings are playing out the dynamic and parts of it I really like. You get to see probably what their dynamic has been throughout their childhood. This is how Roman deflects. This is how Shiv reacts. This is how Kendall's probably overly sensitive in some places or how he you know, is almost manic at some places and the depressed at others. You were seeing that dynamic play out, but I feel like that scene was trying to hit those notes so hard. I, for me, it just went on too long. It was like, they should have tightened that up. It would have been much more powerful. That's my personal opinion. You thought that went on too long. Really? I, I really enjoyed that. I did, but mm. I, I know it just felt too much. I, it felt a little too many of the same um, uh, notes there. Okay. Uh, one thing that I, I skipped, but I did like very much, by the way, was I liked earlier when they're all, when the siblings are there, the scene, we talked about how Connor got upset when yes he was neglected as the firstborn. To their credit, they're all kind of saying, look, we are worried about you, right? In their yes. own messed up ways, right? Yes. <clears throat> Probably the most earnest one is Connor. Connor is not caught up in this, yeah. bull, this psychosis <laughs> that they're all in, right? Yes. So he's just kind of like, hey, I don't want to see you die. <laughs> he just says yeah. it like that. Yeah. And uh, Roman's like, ah, you know, I don't, you know, like I, it would be better if you're not dead than if you are dead. <laughs> so not, not the best way. But I liked when she's like saying like, look, we all know what's happening. And uh, she goes, you're an addict. This was, I thought, very incisive yeah. when she basically says you're addicted to everything, drugs and sex and, you know, and everything all the way down the line. And she goes, and you're addicted to this. You're de- addicted to the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I thought that was very interesting that she <laughs> diagnosed him perfectly <laughs> at that moment. Yeah, not a very self-aware person, but very able to criticize others. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I mean, which, <laughs> which, by the way, I find to be often the case. So not necessarily, <laughs> you know, criticizing that at all. Oh, and the last thing, and, and this is once again, only something I'm thinking about because, you know, we've been looking at the titles of the episode. I feel this is in a way kind of like a head fake, which annoys me a little bit with the show. The, the title of the episode, All the Bells Say. And uh, this is from a poem. It's called Dream Song Number uh, Dream Song Twenty Nine, 
uh, by John Berryman. I guess I'll just read it because it's pretty short. <clears throat> there sat down once a thing on Henry's heart, so heavy, if he had a hundred years and more and weeping, sleepless in all of them, Henry could not make good. So this character, the protagonist in this poem, is, uh, you know, has, is very heavy-hearted with something mm -hmm. that he has done, right? He can't get over, right? And then it says, starts again always in Henry's ears, the little cough somewhere, an odor, a chime, right? That's the bells chiming, right? Mm -hmm. And there's another thing he has in mind. Like a grave Sienese face, a thousand years would fail to blur the still-profiled approach of. Ghastly, with open eyes, he attends blind. All the bells say, too late, right? Okay, so... It's too late, but their act, actions are too late, right? And then it says, the very last sentence of this stanza is, this is not for tears, which is the name of the finale last season. So two mm -hmm. times we're making references to this very poem, right? Who wrote this poem? John Berryman. Okay. So all the bells say, too late. This is not for tears thinking, right? So this is still the protagonist thinking. But here's the last part. But never did Henry, as he thought he did, and anyone, and hacks her body up and hides the pieces where they may be found. He knows he went over everyone and nobody's missing. Often he reckons in the dawn, them up, nobody is ever missing. So this guy is guilty, feeling guilty for this murder in his mind that isn't real, right? So we have two season finales referencing this specific poem. So I don't know if you have an interpretation on any of that. <laughs> it's all making me roll my eyes. I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm not going to say I'm an intellectual, but this type of stuff, it just makes me, it feels very, um, I don't care. For, I don't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this, this is why I have it in my, I did not like side of the argument, right? So I had the things I did like. This is something I didn't like because I, you know, maybe overreading this anyway, before I looked at the, before I watched the episode, I had actually researched this um, poem and realized, okay, well, we're making two references to this. It's about someone feeling guilt over a death, someone's heavy heart because of this. The fact that it's like, oh, this, this is not for tears or, you know, uh, the, the bells say, all the bells say, um, and, you know, we're talking about this uh, potential murder that this person's committed or they perceive themselves to have committed. And then it's just like, it's really about Logan selling the business to, <laughs> to Madison. I'm like, well what, well, what did this title have to do with anything? It almost feels like the only purpose it serves is to, as a, as a trick, right, as a head fake, because this whole season of him, of uh, Kendall, you know, with the weight of this, uh, you know, eating away at him little by little. So yeah, okay, let's circle back to it. But that's not what the episode's about at all, <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, barely. I mean, it is slightly about it, but barely. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about Obviously, there's going to be another season of the show. What's going to happen? Like, this is a big shakeup for the entire dynamic of every single character in the show, right? So do you have any ideas of either what you think might happen or what you'd like to see happen? I have no idea of what I think will happen. I'm not even sure what I would like to see happen. But what I'm most interested in seeing happen is the dynamic between Shiv and Tom. Yes, and I want to see what happens to that marriage now that he has um, full out, <clears throat> you know, thrown this grenade into it and how she deals with it, how he deals with it, whether they are going to try and put the pieces back together or go their separate ways. I'm very interested to see how that specific thing plays out. How about you? Yeah, I think that's the one I am mostly, that's the biggest question mark I have. 
you know, my guesses, I put down like just guesses of where I think I am. You know, Logan's going to be the figurehead, probably of the news business. Um, He's going to be butting heads with Madison. Madison's probably going to be saying things like, if they're pushing this fascist or something, it's like, look, you're hurting our brand. You can, you're going to make the our IP toxic, you know. So I can imagine that Logan's not going to be happy with Madison really calling the shots, and uh, Logan's probably going to keep pushing things in a negative direction. That's- you just can't get that eye out of Madison, can you? <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying that, right? I keep saying it. Well, it's in my notes too, so I'm like reading it off the page, right? Madison, there we go, Madison. Roman, I think, is going to try to leverage these angles he's worked out with Matson and Mencken and his dad. And he's- I was about to say, certainly that election is going to come yes. into play, right? Oh, yeah. So absolutely we expect to maybe see more of that character. And then what I really hope to see, by the way, is from a Kendall perspective, there's hints of it here in this episode. You know, they drag him in, but there are moments when they're like talking about the more of these political maneuvers and Kendall just kind of is rolling his eyes. I really do hope, I really do hope that this is maybe the end of the line for him in that regard where we see Kendall and he's like, I'm not in for this BS. Like, I I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he is rapping. (laughs) I don't know if he's with Naomi. He's, uh, you know, trying to build like something of of his own, maybe failing miserably at it, like maybe starting some kind of media brand and it's a disaster. I would just like to see him like trying to go out on his own and do something, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. if it's a disaster, it'd be entertaining Mm -hmm. to watch. Right. What I do not want to see, honestly, is him trying to like do another go at his dad. I'm not interested in seeing that anymore. Right. Agree. Shiv, if you took a wild stab at her going back to political consulting, who do you think she's going to consult for? Are you asking me to come up with a hypothetical character or? Oh, I mean, anybody. I mean, potentially someone we've seen on the show, but maybe like obviously oh. not, not Mencken, right? Absolutely not. She finds him so repellent and the idea she has of herself is not a person that would do that. I was wondering, remember that guy who was saying, uh, once again, they showed it in the previously on, not in this episode, the last episode, it, it, even though it didn't seem to correlate to the, the show at all, where that guy said, hey, if you get me elected, that I'll yep. kill your father, basically. Yep. So that's I wonder, a good choice. Yeah. So I wonder if that plays out. Yeah, that's a good choice. That would be my guess. I think the writers probably haven't decided. You know, they probably have not even started writing this show. Yeah. But, uh, prob- but I think they leave those things out there. So there's could be you know, something. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, with Shiv, like you said, is where is Shiv and Tom? Like a very, mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. curious to see. Are they like living together? And there's this toxic pretending mm-hmm. that nothing's going on the whole time. Like, wow, that would be horrible to watch, but entertaining to watch. <laughs> Insane. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. What's up with Greg? You think he's going to be in the relationship with this girl? Oh, I don't know. I think Greg now has like a taste for social climbing. I bet he'll, yes. uh, you the know. The date ladder. Yeah, the date ladder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's next? His way up the date ladder, I think. That's <laughs> speculation on Greg. How about Connor? Is Connor trying to be, be someone's VP pick? He's trying to get like a little contingency? Oh, I think he's the type of guy that like gets super into something for a little while yeah. and then dismisses it. And it's like it never happened. That's my guess. And of course, he'll be married to Willa potentially. So that's crazy. Yes. Or you mean, I doubt they'll get you married. The show doesn't move that fast. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Six weeks later. <laughs> exactly. The next season will be like a one week the entire period. <laughs> <laughs> so my galaxy brain take on the whole thing is that Logan gets bored with his position. And then he decides that the only way to take out Matson is <laughs> to team up with the kids <laughs> to coalesce power. And then the whole family gets together. They, you know, have a big kumbaya. They work out their family relationships. They unify, take out Matson, reclaim the throne. 
And uh, basically the entire country becomes like a fascist um, nightmare and uh, everybody loses except for the family. It's a happy ending for them, and unhappy ending for the rest of America and the world. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the finale of the show for me. <laughs> the world on fire, the world on fire. And they're like a happy, they fixed all their interdynamic problems. <laughs> but they all get along. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's the trade-off we have to have. For them to be happy, we all have to die. Yes. Seems fair. It's only fair. Talk to you later.